All right, Mots, we are back. Episode 106 of the Rink Shrinks. You ready to go? Let's go. All right, Mots, I haven't caught up in a while. How's everything been going? I know you've been in the ranks quite a bit. I have uh, obviously been busy myself. It's that time of year, right? And games are getting called off when the weather's not even that bad around here. It's a little bit frustrating. I mean, we live in New England. Like, we can't handle a little bit of snow. People want, you know, games canceled and things like that. But I had a couple games today, so I guess that's why my – I'm a little bit frustrated because they were called off. Yeah, I mean, hockey weather is what we want, right? Yeah. Yeah, in hockey, kind of like traditional hockey markets, like you have four wheel drive, so you can get to the rink. More yeah, I'm than a truck anything. guy now. I know you are. <laughs> it's kind of cool, um, but you kind of change a tire, which stinks. Right. So I mean, who needs that? I mean, I'm not. I'm not a plow guy. You know what I mean? I'm just a truck guy. I, I'm not changing tires. I'm not plowing. But yeah, hey, one well, step the, at a time here. I know. I right, so I'm going to give you one more step. So it is a hockey locker room, but you need to like prepare. So the, I, I'm going to rewind a couple episodes. Oh boy! And, uh, yeah, and take the hockey locker room out of your truck so that Joanna, your wife, doesn't have to have a Christmas tree strapped on her top of her car. <laughs> That's why you have a truck, dude. <laughs> dude, it's a month later. I know, but like I need to beat you up a little bit. I, I didn't know. beat you up when then, it happened. Thank God it was on our car because the, the, the tree wouldn't have been in water quick enough if it was on mine waiting for AAA on the side of the road. You know what I mean? So everything happens for a reason. Oh, I got it. I got it. Hey, so um, how about this past weekend, today, pretty much? Um, talk to me about your kids. Yeah, we uh, what do we have? Good weekend of hockey, a handful of games. We were up at Merrimack. We we we, we were bouncing around. God, uh, Merrimack. We had a couple home games. We were out in Marlboro for for a couple games on Sunday. Uh, so yeah, a good successful weekend. Kids did well. Um, you know, busy as usual. We were able to. Joanna was out at Cushing. She picked up. She went to Brian's game. I forget who they played. Because obviously I missed that. I was coaching another one, but we got him home for 24 hours, which was nice to uh, you know have a couple home cooked meals and 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 have a, a full house again. So yeah, all good. And then I was I, I had planned on heading out to Cushing this afternoon, but the the games were canceled. So obviously we had to uh, hit the reset button on that. But all is well. We're gearing up. We're heading down um, next week at at this time when we're recording. I'll be uh, heading down to good old Fort Lauderdale for the. Uh, for a tournament with my 09 group, the Exposure Cup with Matt Miles and, and his crew. So looking forward to a little hockey in the sun. Uh, that'll be nice. And it's super convenient that that uh, week's tournament's in uh, Lauderdale. So it'll be good to catch up with my brother and his crew and maybe uh, maybe see some of the all-star festivities or at least be, uh, you know, the, the, the city of uh, Lauderdale and, you know, that area will be buzzing down there. That's great. I mean, like, don't count me out, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah don't, don't count me out. So maybe we'll be doing like a satellite uh, ring shrinks from Fort Lauderdale. But um, I've, yeah, that, I've seen you do a lot less crazy things. I know, right? Yeah. So uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was like about like a, a game that we played against, you know, meaning like a, a U12 girls game. The girls were like, 
that we were playing against, like really good, you know, like skill set, using the middle of the ice. I don't even know who the coaches are, but like, you know, they're well coached, mm. in my opinion. So, who is that team? Do you want to call them? You want to give them a shout out? Yeah, no, it's uh, the, the East Coast Wizards, you know, but nice. it's, a, it's the second team. And I'm like, wow, like they, they're really good. Like, yeah, they're playing real hockey. So, when I'm talking to the girls, I'm like, you have to be F3 over the top. And like, they're like, hey, we have cupcake cupcakes after the uh, game. Like, they're, no, they're wicked excited to do that. Right. So, anyway. <laughs> So amazing as, expectations there. Yeah, I know, I know, like, right? So it was just. So did you know it was Sarah's birthday? I know. That's what actually what I got. Yeah. So anyway, okay, there was F three. We're going to a, a trampoline park later. And I have like a a nice strawberry cupcake coming my way. So actually, that must have excited you. Well, for me, like yeah, as coach, like they gave me two, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, they wanted to make sure your mouth was shut instead of talking about F3s and D to D passes and using the middle of the ice. They're like, yeah, coach, take two cupcakes. Was yeah. that enough for you? Yeah, well, one, one for your mouth and one for your, your ear so you can hear <laughs> <laughs> the, the, them not caring. <laughs> exactly. So at the end of the day, I, I was like, ah, oh, you know what? Uh, this we, we can like combat this with some speed through the neutral zone, right? So, you know, push the pace. You, you, you know, some of the listeners out there know about push the pace. Weak side winger blows the zone, and it's like strong side chips. And it's like foreign to these girls. But I go, this is where we can back the AD off, get into the uh, fun zone, and play some games here. It was very interesting. Two girls absolutely took to it. They're like mm. out by the far blue line, like buzzing. They're climbing, but it is a responsibility on the winger, or if it goes wing to center to chip it to get it out of that zone. But I go weak side wing. You have no responsibility. Go all the way out to the blue line, and two of them were like fired up, like to do that. It's so mm. fun to see uh, dynamic on that on mentality. So. Ultimately, we lost the game, but we practiced it last night. And you start like just encouraging, you know, this, you know, I don't know, it's a system, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it's just about getting speed, getting pushing D back and all that stuff. And I, um, I love the personalities like, and the girls are the girls, right? And so that they love, to talk about it, they're like, "Yeah, I, yeah, I'm coach, coach Mott, I, I, I love this." I'm like, "Do it, then let's yeah. do it, let's do it next game." So we'll see. I'll have a check in next uh, next week about the push the pace with the weak side winger blowing the zone. I love it. No, and it's fun, and it gets them, like you said, kind of uh, thinking the game right. And 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 you know, it's it's fun because now they're picking up the puck too, and they full they have a full head of steam, right? We actually went over some video with with uh, my 2011 group, and then it was you know it was talking about the you know the forwards climbing and getting high and getting ahead of their F three, right? And and so now they're catching passes and they're 
that, like you just said, like generating speed through the neutral zone. And it's a heck of a lot easier to beat guys and make plays when you actually have speed versus getting a pass, collecting it at the far blue line, standing still. Right. So it's, uh, no, a lot of, a lot of good stuff. And like you said, when you, uh, you know, you'll be all jacked up. We'll have to pull some live bond clips if you guys can create off the rush a little bit and, and, you know, and then you can show the kids and, and see it kind of all come together. Right. Which is very rewarding as a coach. Yeah, it's great. But like at this level, I was like, you know what? This is probably the best thing for this group instead of making two tape to tape passes in the D zone mm-hmm. and then a wide pass or whatever. So I'm like, well, let's encourage this. You know, like get some speed through, play in the fun zone. You know, it gives us a chance to uh, play against some top teams. I'm guessing like getting out of our zone consistently, number one. And then, yeah. uh, you know, and then when you have to defend, you defend. Right. How were the cupcakes, though? Uh, amazing. <laughs> awesome. Well, we, uh, we, I, I did happen. I mean, the ratings were through the roof. I know we had NHL, uh, NFL playoffs going on and everything, but I was able to tune in quickly. I didn't watch the whole game because I was coming back from a, from a, my own game, but the, uh, Watching you doing some of the color with the BC UVM game, uh, you look great out there. I wanted to give you a quick little pat on the back for that. I thought you, uh, you know, sounded very, very well spoken. Obviously, and and you know, the the listeners could definitely tune in and learn quite a bit about the game from you. So, uh, good job, my man. Well, I appreciate it. No, it, it's like you know, we're sitting here watching a game and I'm reacting to the game, and you know, I don't want to be a homer because I went to BC, but like the game's the game and. You know, UVM played extremely well on the road, number one. Like, mm-hmm. they, they've they been kind of down. Yeah. So, it was so great to see, like, a team – because you talk to both coaches and you have, um, you know, kind of your your eye watching, and they're, they're bought in. Like, they're blocking shots, stick on pucks, everything that we kind of, like, would want as a coach. Um. And then BC, you know, kind of ran into some penalty trouble, whatever. But, like, at the end of the day, I really enjoyed being in the booth on Saturday night. No matter what, Eric Galanti does a great job. He's going to have a great career for him, and he's just getting going. Yeah, he, he was really good. He was really yeah, good. Yeah, he, he actually he makes my job easier. He's, like, teaming up, and, you know, we talk in between periods, and, Stuff I know, I, I know, Brick's your boy, and you know Jack Edwards could be on his way out, but you never know. It could be, could be you and you Galanti, you and Galanti calling the bees soon enough. <laughs> bye, bye, Jack and Brick. Nah, yeah, but Brick's a solid, but like Galanti has. Nah, maybe like if he has a, you know, he might need a day off or something here and there. You could be the filling guy right out of the yeah. bullpen. Yeah, you never know. But <laughs> at, at, at the end of it, it's like it's fun to watch hockey. Number one, and like give like a little bit of insight, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You know, I know everyone's watching the game, so it's different like as a visual versus like say radio, you have to be like a little bit more descriptive. Descriptive. Yeah. Yeah. You can be reactive to some of the um, replays and, but like some small plays that make a big difference, like especially like with UVM that weekend, they made some really, really good plays on the power play to score goals. Their shots ready to shoot off the shot, ah, the pass. It was like it was really good. 
Yeah, watch out, Tony Romo. Here comes mozzarella sticks. I also heard um, that you were dangling in the uh, Bruins alumni game. So I did get a text, and I, I can't reveal my sources, but I heard you had the first goal of the game, one time a bar down, like, and the other team was told, like, no slap shots before the game, but here comes mozzarella sticks, like, right away just setting the tone. Is that true? So it was a rebound. So it's so I'm on my offside. So oh, I'm a lefty. Play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's coming out. So it's like I'm actually coming at it though. So yes, no slap shots, but you know, when you think you're at your waist, you're probably at your shoulder. <laughs> right? So I, I, I kept it in my waist, I thought. And then I I smashed the thing and it was a knuckle puck that did not go by down. It was like a knuckle puck. That found its way in the net. Dude, a goal's a goal. You gotta say, I mean, bar down. I went and like, jumped into the glass. <laughs> and I was like, what's up, boys? Oh, yeah, get the great. lead. Yeah, hey, get the lead early. Well, that's how I was talking to a, a, the buddy, and he's like, Yeah, no, like at that point in time, we were like, Yeah, I guess it's uh it's on. We gotta be yeah, it's it, it's on like popcorn. Ooh, we better we, we better be ready to go. Yeah, we raised like fifty thousand dollars. Fifty grand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was you know, through Tom Smith's um, foundation, and it's like, and our boy uh, Jay Tubo was there. You know, get, got down on a knee and like hugging my uh, my guy. But um, they do great work through um, the Bruins alumni. You know, they, they they came in. Tom came in and was like, "Listen, this is our biggest fundraiser for yeah. you know." So those ten, um, I'm sorry, five people through that $50,000 on that night that could be affected. Wow. Individuals. Uh, You know, so through um, his foundation, he is, he's doing great work and I'm just happy to be a part of it. You know, just play, you know, a a terrible style of hockey, (laughs) but at the end of the day, I raise a lot of money for uh, the right reasons. At the end of the day, you had one and two, and shout out to the uh, like you said the uh, Thomas E. Smith Foundation, and like you said, fifty thousand dollars. I know there was a lot of the New England Stars uh, coaches and and parents that were playing in that game, and they uh, they had a lot of fun. Those are the guys that reached out. So uh, good stuff, Mots. That's uh, that's great. I'm sure that you uh, did. You buzz the skates up, and we can talk about Sparks real quick. I hope I you did. had some fresh edges. Yeah, so I played pretty well. But I played that well because I went and got my uh, skate shop and on the Spock shop, and I kid. Yeah, head on over to SparksHockey.com and use the code BYMOTS for $50 off your sharpener. Sparks is the at-home skate shopping machine that will never fail. Sparks is the gift that keeps on giving for hockey players and parents. It's convenient, easy to use, and will save you money in the long run. With the Sparks, you get an accurate sharpening every single time. Uh, again, head on over to sparkshockey.com and order your machine today so you'd be buzzing like Mots was this weekend in the Bruins alumni game. Uh, Mots, we got to break down this video. Uh, it was sent into us this past week. Um, you know, it was it was locally here in Massachusetts. Uh, I know it hit the, the airways, you know, whatever. It, it hit a couple Instagram sites and things like that. So we, we kind of had to post it. And to be honest, like, I mean – uh, here's my two cents and I'll let you talk. It's high school hockey, right? 
coach is trying to explain a drill. He's obviously frustrated. Is he a young, passionate coach? Uh, absolutely, right? And I've talked to guys that are that are involved in this program and on the team, and I think this guy it, loves it, and he does a really good job. He snapped, um, you know, made the kids, sent them down to the goal line. For those of you guys that didn't see it, made the kids skates. And he gives the old, you know, here comes the putter throw uh, and fires his stick. Dude, I'd be lying to you if I wasn't on the ice and I haven't done similar things, right? And and I'm even coaching younger kids. So I, I don't want to be a hypocrite here. I don't want to say that. You know, I've slapped, you know, slammed sticks. I've thrown sticks. You know, obviously, like nobody's gets hurt, but sometimes as a coach, you get frustrated. And I said it in my comments in the on, on you know on the on the Rink Shrinks Instagram post. Like, I guarantee that ninety nine percent of coaches out there have done something similar to this. Back in the day, this stuff was going on all the time, right? And I'm saying. You know, these days, you know, we want to try to limit things, right? We don't want to act like lunatics out there. Um, but, you know, because, again, the, the the coach is the is the leader of the team and the leader of the group, and kids have to know that they need to compose, they, com- compose themselves under, you know, pressure situations and not kind of fly off the handle. But every once in a while, I don't see it as a horrible thing, like a coach – disciplining his team, getting upset. You know, you can say, oh, he should have changed the drill. They were doing a neutral zone drill, like a D to D pass. That's all that's all he was asking for. And the kids were obviously butchering the drill and, and, and messing it up. It didn't look like it was anything too challenging. So I feel for this coach because, you know, God forbid if there was some videos of me out there, especially in my younger years coaching, it, you know, People would uh, would would probably you know have some some comments. We did get a lot of comments, kind of you know in support. I talked to like I said, parents that are, that have been coached by this team, and they rave about the kid. You know what I mean? They rave about the coach. I should say so. It's a uh, it, it's it's a tough situation. Uh, I hope that you know he learns from this mistake. And we've talked about whether it's players or parents or whoever well, it is. I, learning I, from I, I don't think it's a mistake. Yeah. All right, so- good. No, no. Go. So I've, I, I've spewed I, enough. I'm glad you yeah, stepped so in. Yeah. So I don't think it's a mistake. I mean, you you have a situation where like the culture of hockey is getting softer and softer, right? So just because there's live bar now that you can like you know capture some of this stuff, we have kind of made our hockey players or our kids soft, and they don't. Let's just put it this way. I lived this just the other day about my daughter's team taking a knee. I'm drawing up, taking the time to draw something up. And the first player in line does not know the drill. Unacceptable. Okay. Unacceptable. All right. So th- this is what we're talking about. So I- I'm, I'm going to bring it back to this situation where you can get very frustrated when you say draw something up, maybe even demonstrate, and they still don't execute. Not even like they don't know what they're doing. So, yes, I understand his frustration, and I have no problem with it. Only because, you know, I've lived it. I've lived it as a player where a coach gets extremely upset and the group is punished for maybe like two or three kids, maybe one back in the day. I just have zero, you know, kind of sympathy for the kids um, right now. So, and like I like I'm in support of the you know the coach even though like he's flipping out and like whatever like you know, I mean it, it takes if you do that all the time zero chance that I want my kid playing for you but like it was an isolated incident because 
you know, we know the person and a lot of the players that have played for him. He's passionate. He understands the game and he wants the best for the kids. So, right. yeah. Mike there, yeah, so so there's not a chance that he should be penalized outside of the realm of that rank. And the kid like pulling the clip and things like that. Like, first of all, the the I think the video should be shut off during practice, just for the sake that if I'm coaching against that team that week and they're running power plays and 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 other drills during practices, like, oh, I can see what they're doing. Like, why why is it even on? The video shouldn't even be on during practice in my mind, like, but what is a kid doing, posting it, sending it, you know, sending it out and things like that. It's like, they're trying to get kids and, you know, coaches in trouble. Uh, like you said, Mots, I think you hit the nail on the head. I tried to as well. Uh, it's just, it, it can be very frustrating coaching at times. I don't care who you are, if you're the most patient person in the universe. And, you know, like you said, you show some up, you, de- you demonstrate all these different things go into it. And when kids don't mess, like, and that's what we, we talked about bag skates and stuff like that. Like we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Like, yeah, some, some, sometimes like a bag skate is in order. Like, hey, you guys are screwing off. You're not paying attention. You're not completing plays and, and, and things like that. Like get on the goal line, right? Like that's that's what happens. You know what I mean? That That's hockey. Like it. Some of the coaches that I played for back in the day, they would not have stood for that, and that would that that looked like a choir boy compared to what they used to do. Right. I mean, yeah. and, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's well, hockey is a sport of accountability and passion too. And the coach is showing passion in a different way, but like he wants them to be good, and he wants them to listen and then execute. So a simple D to D. And then that's that. That was the video. Was that was like, it. Yeah. So like, I like. I have no problem with that. Um. Even though, yeah, you know, some people might not. Uh, agree yeah. With it. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh. But that's whatever. That's the world we live in. Uh. We said a uh, uh, piece, and that's it. Before we get to the next thing, this hockey season, go to visit. Go visit our guys at TSR Hockey in Tax Free Salem, New Hampshire. Uh, where you can stock up on all your equipment needs for the remainder of the hockey season. TSR stocks team apparel from CCM and Bauer and does everything in house, embroidering, printing, you name it. You can reach their team store at 603-912-5970. Ask for Mike or Dave and they'll take care of you. TSR Hockey is New England's premier hockey store and a proud sponsor of the Rink Shrinks, an original sponsor of the Rink Shrinks. Visit TSRHockey.com for all your shopping needs and tell them the Rink Shrinks sent you. They're good dudes up there, and we've uh, we've had a bunch of family and friends go up there, and they take care of them, and yeah, make sure you check them out in Salem, New Hampshire. There, I think. Brent, well, Brendan's head's still like I don't even know if he's I know, been back but to like, the store since yeah. since Pando gave him a shout out on that on that interview and in, uh, a couple episodes ago. He's I, like, I heard he couldn't walk they, in. But yeah, they got to put a new roof on, I guess. Just like they, <laughs> they have to make it higher because he's just, he's, he's like glowing. He's, he's getting, he's oh dude, he's getting texts from, from his buddies out in like Washington. Do you listen to the rink shrinks? They just brought up you up. He's like, dude, we've been sponsoring them for you know two years. What are you talking about? So it was, uh, it was funny. Those guys are great. Uh, Mots, I want to talk. There was a, um, a tweet that went out. It was at the beginning of January, and we've uh, I've failed to uh, to to bring it up. But it really breaks down the ages for college freshmen. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll read off the birth years, and and I think we can kind of tie it into 
you know, some different points. But so when we talk about a long road and, and, you know, just like staying with it and grinding and stuff, I think this is, you know, the message and this is, it's pretty interesting stuff. This is from Glenn Heffernan. Glenn Heffernan. So yes, he was the one that put it out. So really good stuff. So there is, all right, 478 division one freshmen uh, playing college hockey this year. And here's a breakdown of the age groups. Uh, so we're in 2023 when we're recording this episode for somebody, you know, seven years from now that's listening to this. So uh, born in 2000, the year 2000, there's a total of three. And they have, he actually has this all broken down by months they were born, all that type of stuff. Well, put, uh, put, put it on the socials, but like, I want you to uh, break it down right now. Yeah, I don't, we, we can't break, we'll, we'll, we'll put the stuff out. 2001, 229 um, Division One freshmen this year. 2002 birth year, 161. 2003 birth years, 53. 2004, 31, and one that's born in 2005. Uh, which, you know, Mott's compared to when we came through, it's, you know, a pretty telling stat. He also has another post that that has a breakdown of all the states and countries and what leagues they came in and stuff like that. But I think, you know, what we really wanted to, to break down with this is, you know, it's, you know, you could be 17 years old, you're a junior in high school right now, and you're not getting a ton of bites, you're not getting a ton of looks. Like, look at that age, you know what I mean? You're three to four years away from potentially going and playing Division One hockey and I don't have the stats for, for Division Three, but I, I would assume uh, it's very, very similar. similar, very similar in the in the age group. Um, you know, there might be some NESCAC kids that are going right from from different places, but I think even still, I was talking to a, a, a buddy today who was kids looking up at Norwich, and you know, same thing. Like the first conversation with the coaches was, uh, you know, w- would would you know your son be going willing to go to juniors for a year or two, right? Which is really good Division Three hockey. So. Um, but I think the the you know the point of this thing is at 17 years old, if you're willing to to continue to grind, and I'm not saying like you got to chase it all over the world, but um, you know grind and put the work in, put the work in on ice, off ice, do the extra things, you know, watch hockey. Uh, this like you still have a big runway there. You know what I mean? Like back in our day, it was you know, 17, 18, 19, like if you weren't in college, it was, it was like, what are you doing type of thing? But nowadays it's a, it's a lot different. Uh, the, the, you know, we, we, you know, the most popular, uh, age group, right. Was that 2001 birth year entering college this fall. Right. So they're, you know, 21, 22 years old, uh, for even, even, this, you know, before they even step foot on a college campus, which is pretty amazing. Um, and again, you know, 2002. So those kids now they'll be turning 21, right? It's like there's a few years of grind ahead of you. And, and, you know, I guess my advice to, to, you know, any of these guys is like, stay with it, try to get your name out there, go whether, you know, whatever level you're playing at now, try and do the best you possibly can and, you know, be willing to pay the price and continue to get better. Because again, it's not happening. You know, there's not many kids that are, you know, and you and I talked offline about the, you know, the one 2005 that's playing up at, at, at UConn. Right. And other than that, I mean, there's most of these schools, even, even the high, high end, you know, the, the, the NTDP kids and things like that are all kids that are, they're getting older, right. Then, then, you know, 19, 20 years old entering college. 
these stats and this data is like really eye-opening when you have yeah. it on paper. So we know about the kind of like the trend and like older kids going into college. But when you have it on paper, it's like very, you know, interesting to see. So what we really care for is like from 17 to 21, that could be your biggest development time. Instead Absolutely. of, you know, when you're 12 to 15, you work on your skills, you, you want to keep it fun, whatever. But when it matters to go to D1, like you're not going D1 when you're 12 years old, you know? So it's Absolutely like, not. So at the end of the day, you want to work on your skills. You, you don't chase it, chase it, chase it, because there's only a small percent that from 12 years old to say D1 are the best, yeah, right? Like, like, like minuscule. So yep. enjoy, enjoy your time, develop, develop, develop. And like, I can speak from experience about, you know, even my son, like he's getting better. He's 17 years old and like he has a runway. You look at these mm -hmm. stats, like he has three more years to really make an impact if he wants to continue to play hockey. But right. at the end of the day, parents, and this is for the parents, like don't chase it too early. Don't chase it. And, and, and my message too that, that I feel strongly about is don't burn them out because you there want is, to yeah. at, at, you know, once they hit puberty, once they go through it, like you want them to really love it and be ready to grind, you know, like, like and my want, son, Brian, want it and want it. Right. Right. Like my son, Brian at 16, like Ryan at 17, like you want those kids like in the summers and, and, and things like that, like wanting to do whatever it takes to improve and get better, not be like, Oh, you know what? I just grinded every summer, went to 17 different tournaments, did every hockey camp, everything. And like, you know, I'm, now I'm 15 years old. I just hit puberty. I, I just started, you know, kind of having a little bit of a social life. And like, I'm all set with hockey. Like you want to avoid that burnout. Because like you said, at 12, 13 years old, just have fun. Enjoy it. Get good coaching. Hopefully you continue to progress. But at 12 years old, Let's be realistic. Unless you're a complete, complete superstar, you're you have eight years more of grinding to even get that division one look, to get that division one deal. And that's or like, division three, or division three for that matter. Right. So, but that's very important for like the kids that weren't the best players. Like at 12, 13, 14, you can still develop at yep. These later ages and, you know, you, some kids grow differently and, you know, kind of like take to the game, maybe like acquired more, you know, kind of like skill sets like mentally through, you know, their early years. And then all of a sudden, like it's just starting to come together. And anyway, um, that, that's that's one of the things that, you know, the developmental path is different for everyone. Yeah. And I, I, I really, really want to stress that because these stats and this data definitely um, support some of that. And it supports a lot of what we've been talking about yeah, all along. It really does. Especially like not burning your kid out at seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Right. Like it, I think that's, that's a huge, huge thing and people chasing it. Oh, he's not, he wasn't on this team at 10. He wasn't on this team at 12. Like, so what? You know what I mean? Like, look how big that runway is. Look how much more you have. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's always going to be exceptions, right? There's always going to be the Jack Eichels of the world, even this day and age that are, you know, or, or Noah Hannafins, right, that are 17 
18 years old, like studs. entering college yeah. studs. Right. And, and there's still going to continue to be, and I, and, and, and God bless them, but there's also going to be plenty of guys that are a little bit of late bloomers that are ready and willing to put in the work. And if you're ready Man. and willing to put, put in yeah. the work at, at those age, older ages, you know, you, the opportunity is still going to be there. Like you might not play on the varsity team your freshman, sophomore year at a prep school or wherever it is, right? I mean, God, uh, I remember going to some of Ryan's games last year and him not even seeing the ice, right? And now this yeah. year he's a contributing piece on the team. Team's playing great. Like, you know, again, he, but keep getting better, keep getting better, keep working, right? Like that's that's really, really good stuff. Well, it, within this like kind of like, conversation a guy like matt molson comes Mm -hmm. to mind so like he got cut when he was 16 years old from a a junior a team and i ended up playing with him you know he went on to play college and you know just worked his way up but i ended up playing with him with the new york islanders and he was just you know nondescript but like he could score like he was smart like like that wasn't you know kind of like standing out when he was 14 15 16 and it's like disappointing the, the kid couldn't like stop playing hockey then he had a long nhl career and yeah and he was still to, playing up until last year i know i'd love to have him on to talk about his his journey and like his because like, i think that's more appropriate than you know like having like an eichel on or whatever you know we right. still have him on but it's like yeah i mean it, if he stops it, talking our calls yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll see. Big time. Yeah, if he starts big time in the ring shrinks, then all set. Like we'll we'll still have him on. <laughs> no, but, it's good stuff. No, we'll get that Matt stuff Mol- posted. I think. I think, and yeah. like you said, I'd love to but get yeah. Molson on. Um, we do actually, and and it's kind of good timing. I think we send this over to to our interview, which you know, talk about a guy that that grinded. Right, uh, we were you know lucky to be joined by. Dan Muse, who's the head coach out at the um, U.S. under-18 team, uh, you know, obviously I've known Danny for a long time, is a great coach, and he's, he, you know, you want to talk about a story about grinding and getting there, even to play college hockey and stuff. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Uh, before we get to the interview, uh, we want to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Franklin Sports, the official street hockey partner of the National Hockey League. Check out their line of NHL street hockey games and training equipment at franklinsports.com today. Uh, what do you say, Mots? We send it over to Danny Muse. Uh, he's the man. Let's go. All right. And our next guest on the Rink Shrinks podcast, we have a very special guest, the head coach of the U.S. under-18 team out at the National uh, Development Program. He's coached at many different levels at, at for the Nashville Predators and the NHL, Yale University, where he won a national championship. Uh, the USHL out with this Chicago Steel. Welcome to the podcast, Dan Muse. Hey guys, thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, thanks for taking the time out of your day. And, um, you know, our listeners will definitely be interested to hear some of the perspective uh, from coming from you. you know, you've coached at a bunch of different levels, but you're at a very impressionable uh, age right now. And, you know, this is a, a goal for some of these kids coming through to try and get to where uh, you're coaching right now. So appreciate you taking the time. No, it's my pleasure. I think what you guys are doing is awesome, and uh, no, uh, honor to be on here. Yeah, we had to put, go through the old Canton pipeline. You know what I mean? A former <laughs> former buddy, Yandel disciple here, playing for uh, my father at Canton High, and and he's sure come a long way. That's for sure. But let's uh, let's start out, Dan. Like obviously, I know, and I, 
you know, I know a little bit about it, but you, you obviously had an interesting childhood, right? Growing up from what I was told by some of your cousins, uh, you know, on a farm in California and then moving to Alabama and then up to, uh, you know, up to, to Canton, Mass. Right. But, uh, you know, talk about like where that passion for hockey was and what it was like growing up as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was definitely a little bit different, different than, uh, yeah. Uh, like my cousins who just grew up in one place, I, I moved all over. You know, we, I was born in Chicago. I lived there for five years and then we lived in Worcester, Mass for three years. And then we moved to uh, Northern California and we lived on a, yeah, we lived on a farm. It was like my parents like didn't grow up on farms, but they like, just decided that it would be be fun to do. So um, uh, we lived out in like Northern California, and they had no hockey rinks. Uh, we were right between Sacramento and Tahoe, uh, beautiful part of the country. I, mean, I was young, but it was it was yeah a really you know cool, unique place. And um, it was kind of there that I started like you know, and I don't remember exactly when or or why. Just it was there that just kind of fell in love with hockey, even though we didn't have any hockey rinks and I wasn't able to play hockey. Um, you know, uh, a couple of my uncles uh, had played in college. Um, my uncle Peter, uh, who, yeah. uh, Ryan, I know you know well, um, uh, who passed away a few years back. Um, you know, he was, him and my uncle John, uh, both in Milton, um, you know, were guys that, like, they both played college hockey. They played one at UMass and, and one at Penn. And so I heard the stories and I saw the pictures and, you know, my, my cousin Peter was playing at the time. And so like, I was hearing his stories about playing and like, you know, just kind of like fell in love more with the idea of the game, I think than anything else since I couldn't play it. And like, so me and my brothers were, um, you know, like we would be playing street hockey, like, you know, on a farm with like, you know, like these chicken wire nets that like my father made. It was, it was, yeah, looking back on it, it sounds made up, but yeah, that's how it started. And then like we moved to Alabama when I was 11 and uh, my mom's from Alabama and um, it was, uh, you know, like, like there that I actually got to start playing and there was only two rinks in Alabama at the time. And um, so you know, it, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot of people playing. Uh, obviously, that's football country down there. And, uh, you know, so but they had they had a rink. And so uh, at the time, I thought it was like the greatest thing in the world that we moved to a place that actually had rinks and where I could actually play. And um, so that's where it got started. My father played, too. Like he played in high school and like he grew up playing. Um, my dad's, you know, one of 11 kids from Brookline. And so like they you know, even my grandfather had played hockey. And so like you heard all these stories and I heard from my father and and my father was, you know, he was passionate about the game. So like he's kind of was coaching some when we got to Alabama. And um, yeah, I mean, at the time it was just, I couldn't have been happier. Just there was a rink I got to play and like, you know, and you know, Luckily for somebody starting at 11 too, down there, nobody was very good. So I kind of fit right in. <laughs> and, uh, um, but, Lots according, know. according to, to Danny's, uh, cousin Baba, who I mean is you can the put best. some salt and salt is and pepper the best. and but he may be known to throw some salt and pepper on a story, right? <laughs> yeah. So he said that that Danny growing up and he was older, uh you know, I'm sorry, Baba was younger, but he he said that you were obsessed with the movie Slapshot. And that's that's really what kind of fueled that that passion, at least you know, it was like that's that's what you grew up on. I don't know. We definitely watched it. I really mean with my cousins. I, I'll never forget. Like, I remember the first time I was, I was at like in the summertime, we'd come up to back to Massachusetts and, and be down in Cape or Marion. And uh, I, I do remember one time, like, you know, my father and my uncle Peter were letting us watch Slapshot and it got like, we were really young and it got like, I don't know, like 30 minutes in. They're like, yeah, you guys, we got to turn this off. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then I, I'm sure I'm sure we eventually were able to just find a way to watch it. I wouldn't say obsessed. We were definitely watching that. It's good so for sure. Typical Bubba just making yeah. stories up. Yeah, if he gave you if he gave you any stories, so let's make sure we can edit some of this. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was all good, all good. That was the that was probably the wildest thing I think he told me. So Dan, like you know, growing up without you know a rank around and you know just having this kind of like a innate passion for the game um and then moving to to be able to play and starting from kind of scratch at an older age was there any you know your dad played was he a big influence and in kind of getting you going and again you, you said there weren't very you know many quality players in alabama but could you just talk us you know to us about that that first like little introduction and when you got going and you know that excitement to kind of get better as you kind of picked it up a little later yeah, I mean, you know, in Alabama, it was, yeah, I mean, the hockey, there was it just wasn't many players down there. There were some really good people. You know, you had some guys that had played for the, uh, like the Birmingham Bulls had a team down there and their players were involved. And um, so I kind of grew up like as a kid, like that was like the NHL is watching their games. And then there were some some players, even some of the coaches were former players from their, um, uh, the WHL, WHA team that they had down there. Um, and so there were some really good people. There just wasn't a lot of it. And then, you know, in eighth grade, uh, we moved to Massachusetts, um, came back here and, and moved to Canton, um, you know, in big part to be closer to family, uh, the cousins in Milton and family in Brookline and uh, just all around Massachusetts. And so, I mean, that was eye opening because I'd been up here in the summer some, like I remember doing like Dexter hockey school with my cousins. Um, and, you know, you, you could tell like right away, it's like, oh, these guys are a lot better than me. <laughs> but um, outside of that, it was, you know, it was, it was eye-opening. And, you know, you come in like Canton, uh, Canton, Milton. I mean, those are those are good hockey towns and they were really good hockey towns then. And there were some really good players. And so it was, uh, you know, kind of come in and do it when you're in middle school, you're big time behind the eight ball. But um I, I wouldn't trade any of that. Like, I mean, for me, it was great. Like, it was hard at the time. Like, you know, I mean, just getting going and seeing, like, the level that players were at and, and just, you know, how how far behind I was as a starting point um, didn't change, you know, just loving the game and going to the rink. And, and for me at the time, still just feeling really fortunate that I got to skate as much as I could or, you know, have this many people that, that played hockey and, and were passionate about hockey. Like, I think I just remember being excited about that. And, um, you know, going into high school, you, you, I knew right away, I mean, even, you know, as a young kid, like this is going to be an uphill battle, but it didn't change the passion for the game. You just kept working at it. And, um, you know, you look back on it now and all those kind of like, you know, I think that that's that experience, you know, having something that you were really passionate about, but that was hard and that you had to really work at. I mean, that's those are lessons that I think have like kind of made me a lot of who I am. Uh, it definitely made me who I am as a coach, but I think even in other areas of my life, it's made it had a major impact on. So um, as much as it would have been nice to, you know, have uh, some form of talent and, uh, you know, if, you know, maybe play it at a higher levels, like I got to play, I got to play high school hockey. Um, you know, I got to, I did a, a PG year. I got to play an extra year of high school hockey. And then I got to play four years of the division three hockey at Stonehill. Like, that for me kind of coming in as we're going through high school, it's like, I can do that. I'm going to find a way to do that. I'm going to find a way to play college hockey. Never did I think I could play division one, but just to play division three, like as a starting from where I started, I, I knew that was going to be, you know, a, a big goal and something I was going to really have to work at. And 
you know, just going through high school, like it was, it was hard. I mean, it was, it wasn't, there was never like an easy time. It wasn't like I was, a, you know, I, you know, I played at Canton high school. Uh, we had, we had some really good teams there at that level, really good teams. And um, there were some really good players and I was never a star player. I was a, you know, a, eventually a third line player at best. And, um, and that was only because I worked hard, <laughs> you know, that had nothing to do with the talent. And, but I, you know, like, I think when you, for me, the perspective was always like, you just, you keep working at it, you keep working at it and you keep finding a way to get a little bit better. And I never one, there was never one day that I didn't love coming to the rink. There was never one day I was not excited to go skate. Uh, even if I was, you know, going to play a very limited role um, as a junior in high school, didn't matter. Didn't change how excited I was to come to the rink every day. Didn't change the fact in the off season, I was going to try to find ways to get stronger and get on the ice with different people, uh, you know, when I could and, and learn more and, keep pushing like never once can I remember that cross in my mind um and then there was some really you know like some great people too that I was really fortunate to to be around um you know like, like just early on just even the, the coaches in Canton youth hockey were unbelievable like there was just some you know people that really loved creating a great environment and passionate about the game and passionate about teaching and you know they, they helped fuel that excitement to come to the rink every day and want to get better and then going into high school hockey, like Brian playing for your dad, buddy. I mean, that was, he was incredible for me. You know, I, I knew what I was, you know, I knew I wasn't very good, but you know, I had a high school coach too, who I felt like, you know, he believed in me and um, you know, like he is and, and helped me get better. And and so that when you have that, that helps drive that passion and it helps drive that excitement. And like, you know, people that say, yeah, I mean, if you want to really work at it, it's going to take a lot of work, but sure. Like you might be able to play some level of division three college hockey. It's like, that's all you need. And, and when you have that, it's such a powerful thing. And then it just like fuels your drive to get better. And, and I think that, that, that lesson, I mean, that, that kind of goes to all levels, like even the, the players I'm working here with here, like, you know, they need, these kids need people that are going to believe in them and they're going to be honest with them and they're going to tell them what they need to get better at. But like, know that, Hey, if you do these things, like, who am I to say what you can and can't do, you know, like, right. you know, and, and I don't think that's always the case. And that's why I know how fortunate I was to have the people that I did, like right from day one of like, you know, when we moved to, uh, to Canton and yeah, being behind the eight ball, like having those types of people who said, you know, yeah, like you can tell you work hard, you can tell you're passionate, like, so who am I to tell you what you can and can't do? No, I think that it, it, that's such a, an amazing message. And, and you know, talking to my father and, and guys like Chris Donnelly and guys that, you know, that played with you at Canton High, it was, you know, they, they always talked about, and I remember myself, right? I was fortunate enough, I was a couple of years younger, but to be able to go to practice and, and you know, skate with you guys. And it was, you know, you put the puck in the corner against a guy like you and, you know, I may look pretty skating or not that I look better, you know, pretty skating than anybody, but, <laughs> but you know, somebody else. Right. But it was like, you, you know, you had that heart and that compete and things like that, 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 you know, really a, a skill that is, you know, it comes from within, right. It's very difficult to teach that type of, uh, you know, that, that want and that will to, to win or compete for the pucks and things like that. And that's something, you know, my, my father always, took to with you right it was like you know this kid just wants to play he just wants to get better and, and better and you know yeah his skating may be a little bit sloppy or whatever but he's gonna go and he's gonna work all summer long and, and skate with paul vincent and do whatever it takes to get bigger and faster and stronger and become you know the whatever the maximum potential of a hockey player it is that's what you're gonna go and do yeah, yeah. no and, and that's and, that, and that's what you know like having going 
going back to your dad too, like having that, like knowing that somebody appreciated that, like went such a long way for me, you know, like I remember like he let me come down. I forget what the skates were, but it was with, you know, like you and the, you guys have been like the Kings team, but it was like guys that I had no right being on the ice with <laughs> like in, in the, uh, in, in the fall. And like, you know, like I didn't have to, nobody needed to invite me to this, but you know, he did. And so like that, 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 that just kind of fuels like that drive of, okay, I'm on the right path. I just got to keep doing these things. And if I do, then, you know, it's going to get better. Yeah. And, and uh, another point that you made was the passion that you had going to the rank every day. You know, that's like so important. And sometimes you, you see some kids who are getting forced by their parents to kind of pursue something that they might not be as passionate about, but you had that passion. And even if you're in a limited role, you know, so like you're accepting your role, you, you, you're a good self-evaluator, you see where you slot, but you, you're not content. You want to continue to get better. And that's like a really, really good message. That's great stuff. Yeah, it's great stuff. I just want to clarify. So I was talking to some guys from Canton. So there was a rumor going around Canton that when you moved from Alabama, you actually had auditioned to be like the young kid Forrest Gump. Is that true? <laughs> uh, I, 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 that needs to get clarified I, 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 because there's I, a I, lot I, of people I, that are torn. Like, I don't know if that was just made up or that is that legit? Like, that was right when you moved. You move into Canton in eighth grade. Something, something's gonna come up. Yeah, it was right after Forrest Gump came out. No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> But but I remember hey, that. What a rumor, oh, though, right? Yeah. What a oh, rumor, like, Oh yeah, yeah. This Dan Muse, yeah, he uh, just moved here from Alabama. He was he tried out to be uh, the the young for young Forrest Gump. Oh, I remember. I haven't thought of that in so long. I mean, the movie had just come come out, and like, yeah, it's like, yeah, and like and nobody in like in Massachusetts. I remember. I'll never forget like moving uh, into Massachusetts in eighth grade. Like when you go around the classroom, it's like any new students, and you say where you're from. Like you got some people that maybe move from like you know, Milton or Randolph. And then it's like Alabama. It's every tur- head just turning back. <laughs> you be like, you from where? <laughs> like, well, just... think of it. I mean, for, for, you know, for your family, one of, you know, your father, one of, what'd you say? 11 kids. And it's like, you know, to move from Brookline to Milton or to Canton, which is like, you know, when it's all said and done, like four miles away, yeah, was it was a like big a deal, right? <laughs> like, like, you know, it's like, Oh, where are you? Oh, where, where's Brookline? Like, I, I have no idea. You know what I mean? Like, I remember when my father moved from Charlestown to Milton. They're like, geez, how far away is that? Like, you would have thought he moved to, to Miami. <laughs> no, and that's and that's how it is. And I remember thinking that, too, like, later on, like, once you've lived there for a few years and somebody moves from a different town, you're like, uh, man, Alabama, it's just, yeah. And nobody, had, I think, had any kind of you know, idea of, anything about the state or anything else and, and nor should they but at the point that knew, point we knew just so knew much forest. i was used to it they just they knew, knew forest Gump. yeah it was right, it was like right after the movie came out too so the timing was tough <laughs> such a classic rumor yeah oh, i haven't thought of that one in a long time oh that's awesome that's awesome so dan you uh you touched on playing for stonehill college that you know recently they've become d1 it's uh it's good good for the program and could you just you know talk about that college experience and you know again that work ethic that to stay in the lineup, be in the lineup, and and try and be a, a contributor, uh, game in game out. Yeah, yeah, no, and that was, I mean, I guess kind of coming out of high school, I, I did a postgraduate year at Vermont Academy, and I didn't know anything about you know any of the prep schools. They they said they 
they wanted me to come there and they had I liked their hockey jersey so I was like sure we'll go there and uh it was good I needed a postgraduate year but um you know Stonehill ended up being a school that you know I, I felt I was hoping that I'd be able to you know get an opportunity to play at and uh, you know put a lot of time in there in those summers and the uh you know in that season too in, in between high school and going there and um you know, it's ended up getting that opportunity to play there for uh, for Scott Harlow, um, you know, who, you know, to this day is still talked to, um, you know, and, uh, you know, even there, it was like I was there as a fourth line, you know, kind of just in a hardworking, you know, energy type of role. Um, and that's and I was just happy to, you know, do anything I could, um, you know, and, uh, you know, he he helped me a lot too, like, just in a sense, like, you know, I think he kind of saw the same thing. He's like, all right, well, you know, the, not the most talented guy, but he's going to, he's going to work every day and he's going to drive things in practice. Or at least that's what I hope I was showing. And, um, you know, he, he helped, you know, kind of put me in, in contact with Paul Vincent, who I skated with, you know, all throughout college. And, um, and he was, in, you know, he was incredible for me. Like just another person who, really believe me, you know, Ryan, those, those skates down in Bridgewater, like at the time, I mean, there was, they were incredible skates and like the, the pro mm -hmm. skate and the, the college skates. And like, I was like by miles, the worst player on the ice, but like, he let me stay there all day. Like I'd stay for the earlier session, the middle session, the late session. Like he just let me stay out there all day. Um, and so I spent every summer there with him and, uh, and that helped me a ton, like, like in terms of just, you know, cause I never had any kind of like, I mean, I was like the tin man on ice running around. Like I had no like technical skill at all. I uh, no fundamentals and, um, it got better. It got to the point where I felt a huge difference too. Um, you know, it wasn't just the, the skating part of it. It was just like, he helped me with my game a lot uh in the summertime and um and he was another guy too who just like you know i, I talk to coach v all the time I, I see him every summer I, I text him every holiday uh you know to say thanks and he uh you know he's just somebody that was really he believed in me and you know i think he told scott harlow like he's not allowed to ever cut me which i appreciated too <laughs> at least that's what he tells me <laughs> uh, but like he just kind of took me under his wing um, me and my, my brother, John was there every, we were there every summer and, um, and he helped us a ton and he had, there was no reason to, I mean, like, right. You remember those guys. I mean, the, the guys, it was like a who's who oh, yeah. of like moving the hockey at the time. Like I was the last guy he needed to pay any attention to, but he did. And, um, and so, you know, it was, that meant a ton to me. And even, even post, you know, college, like he was still making an impact. Like I remember like after college, I was, you know, really thinking about going to law school and like he out of the blue like called my father and it was he called my house phone <laughs> like my parents house phone and it was like i really think that he's making a mistake going to uh, going to law school he needs to coach i'm like first of all who talks somebody out of going to law school like <laughs> but, but he's it goes back it's just somebody who like you know when you work hard for somebody like that and they they believe in you you go through a wall for anybody you know he was like that your father was like that you know scott harlow was like that i, I mean uh, I could have been very fortunate with some of the people that have gone, you know, I've crossed paths with that have gone out of their way as much as they did, um, especially especially through those high school and college years. Oh, that's awesome. I remember those skates down at Bridgewater and being on the ice with Mr. V. And like you said, just honest and like you, it, he's not a type of guy that it didn't matter if it was, you know, Mike Motto or Teddy Donato or Paul Mara, like you had – all every guy and if if you were willing to show up and work he treated everybody the same if you if you were happy if you were dogging it that day no matter who you were he was going to torture you and i can remember him literally 
you know, you making those strides where all of a sudden you are now becoming like the demo guy and doing one, you know, one legged jumps. And you must have been like, you know, just seeing the progression in yourself, like, you know, the first time I went down there and I, you, you were doing a one legged, you know, C cut and now he's got you jumping and, and, you know, landing and doing all these different things. But that's how, you know, Mr. V is, he, he believes in people and he wants, and he encourages it. He loves it. He loves that kind of underdog story as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was, he was incredible. Like he, he still is incredible every time. And you see, and he's still doing the exact same thing. Like I go down and see him every summer. I, I, yeah. I got like, like, I think he, he yeah, I, I, I think I have to, if I ever miss a summer of seeing him, I don't know what would happen, but he, uh, but I, I love seeing him. And he's doing, it's the exact same thing. It's just like, you just see it. I mean, in the way he believes in kids and the way he like, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's incredible. And yeah, and then you see the kids just like, just get filled, like the way he talks to him too, like just filled with confidence mm-hmm. if they're working and and if they're if not they'll be honest with them <laughs> yeah that's for sure that's for yeah, he's sure. amazing he was a pioneer and i you know i had him when i was younger and but then i had him late in my career with uh the the panthers when he was down there and he evolves and he's always like trying to learn and you know i wish i knew some of the stuff that i you know that he was teaching later in my career you know it was like about some shuffling and you know some efficiencies on the edges and so these kids are getting, you know, like a PhD and, you know, skating every time they're on the ice with them. And it's just, he's has such an impact on so many people and not just on the ice, but, you know, in, in your example as well as, you know, believability and confidence. And he's, uh, he's been a great ambassador of the game for so many years. And, you know, he's such a great guy. So we're going to have to... Yeah, we might have to have him we on. Should, tell I was going to say, we should, be, we should be filming a commercial for him right now. This is unbelievable. Danny, let's talk about, you know, getting into coaching, right? I know you said, um, you know, you looking at different options, looking at law school. You were a criminal justice major, right? Obviously, your family, doctors, lawyers. I mean, your uncle, uh, Yeah, it, I, I always tell the story, my father and your, your uncle John, so that's my father's doctor, and I think, he, you know, he goes in the office and they talk about hockey for three hours. They'll be like, oh, how was the appointment? Oh, great. Yeah, every, everything's good. You know what I mean? She's like, no, buddy, I need to know what <laughs> Dr. Muse said about, you know, this, 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 and this. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, Danny's doing great and the team's doing well and, and this and that. But, you know, just t- talk about that career path and, and, and you know, how that you made that decision to get into coaching and going with, um, you know, Paul Canada at Milton Academy. Yeah, I uh... – well, after graduating, I um, I guess I had thought, you know, being a criminal justice major, it's, you know, you go to, you could go to law school or, you know, some of the guys that, you know, I, I was in school with who became cops, you thought about that, but it's, you know, I guess thought, my thought process was, all right, let's we'll try to take a year, study for the LSATs and, and apply to law schools. And, um, you know, and so that's what I did. Um, at the time, I wanted to coach too. Like I, I had always assumed I, I would be involved in hockey in some way. Like even throughout college, like I was coaching something. I think almost every year, I coached high school lacrosse for two two years in college. That was my my spring job. Um, I coached youth hockey, definitely my senior year, and um, just kind of on the side whenever I could. And so I want. I knew I wanted to do that uh, in some capacity. So that year, I was going to apply to law school, and I was going to. Uh, I wanted to coach and then I needed insurance. So I ended up getting a job as a uh, uh, paraprofessional aide in the special ed classroom at Canton High School, uh, which allowed me to get health insurance, but also gave me a schedule where I could coach. 
and and that was the plan for the year. And um, you know, originally I was going to be helping out with Canton High School, and then an opportunity presented itself at Milton Academy to go work with Paul Canada, which um, I mean it was a huge home run. Just a, a guy who's you know I think he does an incredible job, just a a brilliant brilliant uh, mind for the game and especially for development. And so that ended up presenting itself I got got that job and so that's what I was doing that year I was I was uh, an aide in a special ed classroom um, I was you know coaching and then I was uh, I did apply and uh, ended up eventually got into law school and um, you know uh, my, my uncle Peter who we had talked about there before Brian when you grew up with um, uh, you know he, he helped me a lot with the law school piece um, he was kind of the guy that you know I talked to about that all the time and like he was the first guy that I, I went I drove to his house from Milton Academy to tell him I got into law school um, and then I think it was uh, uh, a few weeks later that I drove to his house to tell him I'm not going to go to law school and I'm going to be trying to coach and teach um, now I just went through the process and I, I was actually at the open house for Suffolk law um, thinking that I was all excited to go there all excited to go to the open house all excited that I got the acceptance letter spent uh, a couple hours in there talking hockey with a, a professor walked out I was like what am I doing like I'm not like there, there was no there was no real excitement like it was no I was doing something just for the sake of doing it and um, it kind of just hit me there. And I remember, you know, talking to my father and being like, listen, I'm, I'm not going to do this. So this is what I'm going to try doing. I'm going to try to coach and teach. I remember driving over and telling my uncle that. And, um, and I remember my uncle Peter being like, who's, who, who was a lawyer. Um, and he, he, he was like, he's like, that's awesome. <laughs> he's like, that is awesome that you're doing that. And like, it was, yeah, I was all nervous to tell him. And then he was, couldn't have been more excited about. I was going to say he'd, he'd be the one guy that could just, you know, it, this Peter Muse, like you want to talk about a legendary, you know, personality and positive person. And, and co I mean, he, he brought a birthday cake to my house every year on for, for my sister's birthday. Nobody else, just my sister's birthday. It'd show <laughs> up. Hey, Lauren. Yeah. Let's go. Time birthday cake that, you know, hit singer hat, just like the best guy and the, the unbelievable. And, you know, it's sad that he's not no longer here with us. That's for sure. Sorry to cut you off, but it just that struck memory lane for me. Yeah, uh, he was he, he was the best. And and like when I was making that decision, having somebody like him to like, you know, because he had helped me out so much in terms of going to law school and like you know, I, I, he was the person I talked to about all of it. Like even going to Suffolk, like he took me down to Suffolk Law, and like we spent a day down there with somebody he knew, and like he set me up with all my internships in, in college, working down at the Brockton Courthouse. Like all those things were through him. So like I remember feeling like, am I going to let him down by making this decision? And like seeing his reaction and how excited he was for me that I was kind of going on my trying, going to try my own path, do something different. Like seeing just that excitement, um, you know, just kind of made me feel like I was really making the right decision. Um, so he, he he played a he played a big role in kind of helping me get get going with that. And so that next year, I ended up, uh, you know, I decided not to go to law school. I ended up applying and getting a full time uh, uh, teaching job that following year at Archbishop Williams, which um, yeah, at the time they hire, I guess, anybody, <laughs> but it was, uh, uh, you know, but I think it's, I had spent a year in a classroom and like, it was, you know, and I think, you know, I having that experience and, you know, putting some time to, to be prepared for the, uh, taking on a, a position like that, even though I didn't have an education background, um, you know, and then I got to stay on at Milton Academy and that, 
that probably was like the best year for me in terms of my overall development, honestly, even though it wasn't like full-time coaching, like spending a year working in a classroom, especially where I had no education background. I had like, like zero experience in that. Like I'd never taken an education course. I didn't only think I took a history course and, uh, and I was teaching high school history. Uh, but it was, it was <laughs> so beneficial. Like I, I was one chapter. I just say the chapter ahead, one chapter ahead. And I was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, exactly. Uh, uh, but it was it was really it helped coaching. a lot with coaching. Like coaching one step ahead. It, it, it really is. I mean, that's what like that, that's where I think like coaching is teaching. It's like it, like in the stuff I had to learn on the fly that year too. Is I mean to this day is still like lessons that I learned. Like, I mean, you guys know with Archbishop Williams, like where it's located. Like you got half kids from in the city. You got half kids that are from the suburbs. You got some kids that school's easy for. You got some kids that school's hard for. They're all mixed up in one classroom and like right away i'm like all right i gotta find a way to you know get through to all these you know different types of you know learners and um yeah and it was it was great it was it was an unbelievable year some great people at the school like i really enjoyed that experience and got to the end of the year i just decided you know i wanted to i wanted to coach i want to teach hockey full time um and so ended up giving up that and it was doing a bunch of youth hockey stuff as well and uh ended up going over to williams college for a year that's great yeah, so you think those experiences kind of like drinking through a fire hose and reading, reacting people, and you know, you're talking about the different backgrounds. Um, you think that definitely helped you with your coaching philosophy and your style and approach to communicating to your players now? I, I think that was the most important year for me in terms of my development for coaching, yeah. without question. I mean, and like I was saying before, like Paul Canada, like he's an outstanding coach, um, and he's just a great person. So, like, I'm working with somebody like him. I was doing a lot of stuff with Canton Youth Hockey uh, at the time uh, as well. So I was on the ice a lot. I was doing just everything I could do, like any anywhere I could work, anything I could do with hockey, I was doing it. Um, so you had all these kind of things that were happening at the same time. And, like, I was, you know, just learning so much on the fly. And, you know, especially where you're getting, like, yeah, you get thrown into the fire. It's just, like, figure it out. Like, I got to figure it out. Like, I, I have to. Like, I got these kids. They need, they need to make sure that they're getting better. So – if I don't have the answers, I got to go find the answers. And, um, and, and it was, it was really, really beneficial. Like I, without question, I think I learned more that year in terms of some lessons that I still apply to this day than any other year. No, oh, that's great stuff. Talk about that, that, you know, move now, you know, I guess leaving coaching and teaching around here and going to, to, to college, like, what was that like the recruiting and, and, you know, getting your feet wet at, at Williams? Yeah, uh, you know, it's like I, I I just tried to get any any college job. I just wanted a full time college job. I think I emailed like every every single program in the country, D three, D one, said I'll volunteer, I'll work for close to nothing. Like I just you know, at the time I thought I think like I felt like all right, if we're gonna do this, you gotta do it now. Like I don't know how many more years, like um, you know, my, my wife, Maureen, like her and I dated since high school. So it's like at some point, like she's going to get fed up with this and she's going to, you know, she's going to want to, you know, <laughs> live together and, and we need to propose. So like, I don't know how many years I'm going to have until that happens. So, um, and like she had just probably, she had just started teaching at the time herself. Um, she was actually teaching in Milton. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, just like we got to do this and so eventually i got this position at at, uh uh, at williams i got an interview ended up getting the job and moved out there and bill kangas is just he was just as good of a guy as you'll meet like like really let me do a ton i think for any young coach too who's getting like somebody who's getting into it 
if you could ever coach division three college, like there's so many huge benefits to it because you have to do everything. Like you got to be the recruiter. You got to do the pre-scouts. You got to work, you know, you're running a special team. Like a lot of these times, like you can wear more hats in those jobs than maybe any other like job in hockey. And so they might not pay much, but if you want to get experience, like those are incredible, incredible jobs. Um, And so I got to do, he let me do a ton and uh, you know, just getting an idea of the recruiting. And, and at that point, I'd worked so many hockey schools and stuff in the summertime. And like, and Paul Canada had, had helped me get involved with USA Hockey, working the summer festivals that, you know, I knew a lot of people coaching Division One, and just remember thinking, okay, well, I'll just talk to them and find out, like, I want to be a Division One assistant. So I'll find out everything that they're doing. I'm just going to try to do all that. So if there's something we're not doing here that a Division One school's doing, we're going to find a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's on a limited budget. Maybe it's in a different way, but like, we're going to get all those experiences. And, and so by having like all those camps and other things that you've done, and now you're starting to meet people that, that helped a lot there with that process. And I think me being able to get as much as I could out of my time there at Williams. And you move on to, uh, to Yale university winning a national championship in 13 with Keith Lane. He's a solid guy. I was, I saw him uh, recently at a, at a tournament and uh, he was actually one of the coaches when I was playing with the uh, St. Louis organization, but yeah. just great guy. And can you tra- talk about like kind of that rise, you know, you're you, now you're at D1, you have your success and, you know, kind of like that whole kind of rise to that pinnacle of winning the national championship in 13. Yeah, absolutely. And like, and just getting, getting to Yale was like, you talk about how sometimes we need to get balances too. Like I actually did a year at Sacred Heart in between mm-hmm. and CJ, uh, the second year going into the second year, I just got married. Um, so my wife had just come down to to Connecticut and like right before school started, uh, the head coach at the time, Sean Hanna resigned. And so I was, I actually thought for a while there for like a month, I thought like we might not have a job and, uh, you know, to be figuring this thing out quick. Um, but, um, I ended up, you know, ended up being CJ Maritol ended up getting the job uh, at Sacred Heart. And so an opening came up and I didn't know Keith. I didn't really know Kyle Wallach, who was the other assistant at the time. Um, but, you know, we had some mutual connections and somebody that I'd been working with in the summertime. Um, uh, it was actually Rick Bennett, I think, gave him my name. Uh, just He just threw my name out there because we worked the camp together in the summer. And so, like, you know, went from like, you know, a job that like, honestly, a few years before I never would have dreamed I could have had an opportunity to be at Yale and they were doing really well at the time. And like, you know, I knew who Keith Elaine was, but I never met him before. And like, he was like this kind of like in the hot, in the college hockey world, he was just kind of like, you know, I don't know, like huge figure. He'd come from the national hockey league, like everything he'd done, all the U, you know, US Olympic teams, uh, world cup. So like, you knew who he was and then get an opportunity to go and work for him was, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it, it was, it obviously felt really fortunate um, that that came up. And, and when we came in there, like those teams were, you know, there were some really good teams. They just kind of, they just made the NCAA tournament there the year before um, I got there. Like they had a, they had a really, really strong senior class it was the first class that, um, that Keith Elaine, when he came into Yale, they had been freshmen. And so they'd been with them for four years. Um, like Mark Archibello, Sean Bass. 
Um, and, and so right away, like the team was in a, in a really good place. And, um, the first couple of years I was there, like we made the NCAA tournament both years. I think my second year, we were ranked number one going into the tournament. Um, the, the first year Boston college beat us nine, seven, uh, we had beat North Dakota in the regional first regional final nine, seven, one of the wildest games I think I've ever wow. been a part of. Um, yeah, wasn't, wasn't the best display of goaltending, but it was, uh, it was, uh, Hopefully it was, I mean, you were in uh, charge uh, of the defense and the goalies. Uh, offensively, it was awesome. It was it was just back and forth. It was wild, um, but really good team. I mean, and, and BC wins it that year, you know, like so. And then the next year, we lost in, uh, Minnesota Duluth in the regional final, and they win it that year. So you could tell, like, like we were right there, like right there. We had a year in between where I think we didn't make the tournament. Um, and, and those teams, those first couple of years, I mean, from a on paper standpoint, like they were probably the best you know, talented, most talented teams. Um, but like, it was still, I think that the, the program was still kind of getting to that point where it was ready to take that next level. It was really close. And those guys that were there, my first couple of years, like they absolutely like set that cultural foundation that helped drive that national championship team. Um, and in 2013, we had, uh, yeah, just a, a really special group. Um, and it was a year that we were, we were, we were good. It wasn't like, you know, we weren't number one in the country, like we'd been a couple of years before. Um, but I think they learned some lessons too, like along the way, they learned some lessons from some of those guys too, that had been there before the last couple of years. And when it came down to the end of the season, um, especially where we got into the national tournament is like one of the last teams to come in, um, I think they had something to prove and there was a lot of belief in that room and just a, it was a team. It was, you know, like, like we, we talk about that a lot. Like, you know, it's, there's those groups that you work with on some years and you're like, yeah, I mean, it's a good group, but is it like, this was a team. This was like, this was a really tight knit group that, like I said, they'd taken lessons learned from the past and worked to apply them. And um, yeah, you know, what those guys did at the end of the season was something uh, it was really special to be a part of. And, you know, something obviously you get a group like that, like it's it's going to be close for, uh, yeah, forever. Oh, that's an unbelievable story. Um, can you talk about that next step? And right, like you obviously had been an assistant coach now, national champion, like obviously stayed on for a couple more years. But then like the next steps to to taking a, a, a head coaching job and obviously your your kind of break came at with the in the in the ushl with chicago but like what was that process like and and working your way up and interviewing for positions and and, and that stuff yeah I, I mean i didn't like it wasn't a situation where i was like i need to leave or i need to, i want to go like i could have i could have worked for keith lane forever like you know mm. I, I love the guy like he's he's like family and um you know and there was other great people that were at Yale that I worked with um, for two of the years. Red Gendron was there and he was, you know, uh, he's just a special, special person. And like, you know, um, and, and other great assistants that helped me. Kyle Wallach was there my first couple of years. Like he kind of really taught me the recruiting and the two years that I was there with, uh, with, with Keith and Red. I mean, it's just two guys that had so much experience. And so, I loved where I was like my family's happy. My first, my, my two oldest daughters were both born in Connecticut. My wife was teaching. She was happy, but it kind of got to the point where it's like, oh, like, all right, the next thing for me is, you know, at some point, if you want to be a head coach, you got to be a head coach. And, um, you know, and I, I remember like seeing, seeing the impact that, you know, Keith Elaine was making on the players there too, and how much he was really kind of, you know, just, yeah, putting his stamp on them as, as not just hockey players, but as people and impacting their lives. Um, 
you know, to a degree, like you, you're able to do that even more sometimes as a head coach and not just the impact he was putting on the, on the players, but then also seeing the impact he made on me and the, and, the, and what he was able to do for, you know, every staff member that was there and all the people that were around them. And, yeah, I think seeing that is something that, you know, I wanted to kind of strive towards um, to be able to make that type of impact on the people uh, around me. And, um, and so felt that if the opportunity, right opportunity came, um, it was going to be something that was going to pursue. And, and there wasn't a lot of things that we're looking for because I was so happy there. The opportunity in Chicago came up and ended up being a really unique one. Uh, a new owner just bought the team, Larry Robbins, uh, uh, Larry's a, he's a, he's a hedge fund company, which I you still don't fully understand what hedge funds are. So uh, but I got a better <laughs> idea of working with him. Still don't completely understand it. <laughs> Not a numbers guy, but um, he, he came in and, you know, he, you know, I, I my name came to, I guess, got brought up to him um, and, you know, between him and some other guys that, that I knew, like um, uh, Vinny Smith and Mark Latito, who uh, were now with the Long Island Gulls, they, they, at the time, we're going to help in, um, and Jamie Cahill, they were all, three of them were helping Larry put together some names and um, and being involved there in the transition of ownership in Chicago. And they brought my name up to them and got an opportunity to interview. And I think just having that chance to kind of come in and, you know, while it wasn't like an expansion franchise, it was basically, you know, the Chicago Steel got bulldozed and rebuilt from from the ground up and you don't always have the opportunity to do something like that. And so that was, that's where it became really unique. Um, for me is just being able to go in somewhere they hadn't won in a long time. They hadn't won a championship ever. They hadn't been in the playoffs in a really long time. And now you got a new owner, new resources. Um, you know, you can go in there and start to, to build something special. And so it was great to be able to come in there at the time that I did and, and be able to, um, you know, get to work with that organization. No, that's great. And ultimately, I mean, you spent, what, two seasons there and ended up in, was it your second year you guys won the, the USHL, the Clock Cup Championship? That must yeah. have been a uh, a pretty pretty fun group to be around. Yeah. Oh, the group was awesome. You know, we had a lot of guys that were there the year before, and, and we had a good team the year before. Like, if you look at some of the guys that were on that team, um, we have some guys that have gone off and, and done some really good things. But it was it was it was that kind of turnover year. Like you know, we had Brandon Duhame, who's obviously doing great now in Minnesota. Uh, Tanner Lashinsky, who's you know playing games in the NHL. Um, uh, Daniel Vladar was one of our goalies. So like we had a good team, oh, yeah. but like we didn't make the playoffs that year. Um, at the end, we ended up like at that trade deadline, which is something I don't. I don't really love in junior hockey, but uh, some of those guys left and we had a lot of guys that came back for a second year. And like at that point, we felt like we had a really good foundation built in terms of the culture that was there and the standards and the, just the day to day. And and we brought in some, um, you know, some other players came in that for that second year and just, you knew kind of right, right away. I thought we felt like we had a really um, you know strong group. And, and for me personally, I think I learned some lessons in that first year you know, as a head coach, it's some things that I, that maybe we did that like, I didn't love how we were teaching and maybe they didn't love the exact kind of process we had put together uh, in terms of that on ice. And we were able to, to change that a year too, um, you know, and, and I think not that, you know, at the end, that was the, the difference, but I feel like, you know, I definitely learned some things in that first year that we were able to kind of relook at going into year two and just a great group of guys. Like, like they were, they were awesome. They were really really hardworking. It was a gritty group. Like they, we had skill. Um, we had guys that could make plays, um, 
but you also had a you had a high compete level throughout and um and so to see them kind of have that ultimate success there in the league um it, it was awesome let's take a quick break from our interview with coach muse and talk about pro stock hockey new year same great benefits at pro stock hockey give your kid the pro experience with free name personalization free tape same day shipping and friendly customer service with all kids sticks and gloves a 30-day warranty is also included with all kids sticks the world's largest inventory of pro stock sticks and gear is now for the kids as well as with a great selection with youth equipment. Visit ProStockHockey.com and use the code BYMOT for 20% off your kids' gear order. And now back to the interview. Well, like going back to, to Yale and, and Chicago, like winning championships doesn't get old, right? You, know, <laughs> you win some championships, and like you mentioned, like those guys and you, you as coaches, you'll always be connected. And it doesn't matter what level you, you win it at. And, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, and your, your rosters were good, uh, you know, like strong, but, you know, no, like, crazy high-end players. You guys probably, like you mentioned, like, played as a group, played with that compete level, and that goes a lot further than just having the best talent. Oh, big time. And that's and that's what we really kind of, like, guys, that's what guys kind of hung their hat on. It was, like, we're a team. Like, like, some of the other teams, like, even in the playoffs, teams that, had like, changed their roster drastically and did all this, it's like, no, like, like we're going to outwork everybody every night and and we had skill and like and we wanted our guys to play too like it wasn't like in no way shape or form were we playing dump and chase hockey like we wanted our mm-hmm. guys to make plays and we had guys that absolutely could um and they did but it was just like guys really bought into that like you know mindset i mean the whole thing at the beginning of the year all we preached at the beginning of the year was like make plays and compete make plays and compete make plays and compete mm-hmm. nothing else that was it if you make a mistake go get it back that's it and like you know it's it's amazing like we overcomplicate this game so much sometimes like you get down to those things like you know the the game's pretty good Uh, (laughs) and and they really bought into that pretty simple formula you know i think i would like to play for you it was all the guys (laughs) and the guys and that's they they got to play um but they they did they 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 worked i mean and it was uh that was a really it, it was a really good group and guys and we have some guys that have going on Matt Kierstead was on that team you know he's played some games in Florida now and mm-hmm. um you know we had uh uh, uh, Tra- uh Edwards Trailmax who's in Boston's organization he's been in Providence uh, Mark Johnstone he was our captain like he just scored he just scored his uh I mean what a, what an incredible story he is like he was a, he was a captain he played for two years and he just you know like he's a guy who had a good solid career at Sacred Heart University but like just somebody who just worked for everything he's ever gotten, everything. Like people told him like he couldn't play in the USHL. He's a captain of the USHL. He went to Clark Cup. He's playing in the American League right now. He just scored his first two goals in the American League. Like, you know, like guys like him were on the team who were just like, they were really, they were, are really good hockey players, but they're guys who just do things the right way every single day. Um, And so it was a really rewarding group to be around because of that, because of, you know, and the, and the list goes on and on. Um, you know, it's just a really good group that way. Oh, that's awesome. Can you talk about the the interview process and, and you know, now like finding yourself uh, interviewing and, and talking in the NHL, right? And I guess ultimately you you violated a pretty big Canton code, right? Laviolette's a Franklin guy, isn't he? And uh, which is a pretty big rivalry with the Canton Bulldogs. I remember those games back when you were playing. They were absolute wars. <laughs> Yeah, 
No, we had uh, yeah, we had a lot of we had a lot of arguments on who's the best team in the Hockamock there. I think I think I have a bunch of Canton kids on my team, and I'm pretty sure the other night they they said Franklin beat Canton this year. So watch out. You might have to send them. You might have to send. You might have to send. Yeah, you might have to send Coach Schumann a pump-up speech or something. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to touch base with him, make sure that this rumor you're telling me isn't true. Uh, yeah, no, it was uh, – yeah, I guess after after uh, the, the, we, the Clark Cup championship season, I was fortunate to get some opportunities talking with some, uh, some different teams about different positions in pro hockey, um, mostly in the American League. Um, uh, in, but – you know, that ended up, I think it was like midsummer, um, came up and it was a little bit out of the blue. Cause I don't have, I didn't have a lot of connections there with anybody in Nashville. Um, you know, I, it was the connection ended up being, uh, it started with, uh, the, the late Jim Johansson, um, who I had the opportunity to work with on two world junior teams. I was a video coach for two world junior teams. Uh, Keith Elaine had helped me, um, you know, be involved, uh, with that, just getting more involved with USA hockey. Um, and so, and I had also, you know, just during the summertime or, um, you know, worked with, you know, you know just the select festivals and mm-hmm. gotten to know Jim Johansson through that. And, uh, coming off that year, I guess Peter Laviolette had given him a call just to look for a couple of names. And I was a name that he was given. And, uh, and then Keith Elaine also had the connection, um, with with Lavi, and then he also had the connection with David Poyle, um, having worked together in uh, Washington. So, um, you know, there wasn't uh, outside of that. And you know, I I'd been on a staff with Phil Housley um, for one of the World Juniors. I was his video coach, and then but he was on, and that was the position that was opening up when Phil was going uh, to Buffalo. So it, it kind of came a little bit out of the blue, and then it happened fast. And um, you know, again, it's just very fortunate that you know some of the people that were asked for names. Um, you know, thought of me for that and uh, ended up being a, you know, a great, you know, experience working there um, uh, for him and in that organization. Like uh, Peter Laviolette, like he's just, you know, again, another just incredible coach, incredible human being, um, even better human being than his coach. And he's a, you know, top, top coach in the National Hockey League. But he for forever and he just does it over and over again. He's going to keep doing it because he's he's that type of person. Um, and, uh, you know, but he's, he's somebody too, who genuinely just genuinely cares about the people that, you know, you know, he's working with that he's, uh, that are coaching under him, um, his players, everybody in the organization, he's just a first class human being who does things the right way. And, uh, so, um, I learned a ton from him, like, again, you know, now kind of got a couple of years experience of being a head coach and then taking a step, uh, no, it's not a step back because it's, it's in the NHL, but like it's going into a different role again, uh, as being an assistant. Um, I, I thought that was really beneficial too, because now I had, well, I wasn't in his shoes in terms of the NHL because that's a, just a whole nother level, uh, just a whole different animal. Um, you know, I'd been a head coach. So like you think about things different. So now you go into a different role again. It's like, you're able to, I think just have, have different perspective on even, even the way maybe, you know, what I was doing or how I was as an assistant coach, I felt like I was a better assistant coach for having gone through those couple of years of being a head coach. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, I was, uh, you know, both, 
Bill Glavy, and then also Kevin McCarthy, who's been with them forever too. He was, you know, he he, he went always going out of his way there, and he still does in, in terms of kind of helping me out and um, just being able to learn from somebody who's been, you know, working at that level for, I mean, forever, and has uh, had a ton of success there. So, um, yeah, those guys were great. Learned a ton from them, and uh, yeah, it's uh, you know extremely thankful there just for the opportunity to be able to work for for them, work in that league, and work in that organization. Did you lean on Lawrence Filoni quite a bit? Oh, well, I actually should brought him up first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, all the time. <laughs> Lawrence was uh, Lawrence and I knew each other before, um, just from just different things. Another mass guy. Uh, you know, I guess he wasn't much involved in the interview process, uh, but I didn't mention him. But uh, he's incredible. I think he's. Yeah. I don't think there's a better video coach in the National Hockey League than him. Like just. Guy doesn't sleep. He doesn't stop. He's uh, yeah. He's under- I had him in the minors uh, with the Devils. You know, he was just working his way up, and just what a great guy, and always uh, willing to help. You know, if you needed yeah. something, he would always clip something for you or whatever. This is before when it was like real easy to do. You know, not easy, uh-huh. but you know, the technology has come a long way since. 2005 or six or whatever it was. Yeah, you know, so. When Mott's had his VHSs, <laughs> pretty much. Oh, he's he's unreal though. He still is. I still feel bad because I'll call him on certain things or ask for certain things even in the off season. I feel bad because I know he's going to say yes, but I also know that like everybody, like everybody goes to him and he just he, he helps. will he'll help anybody, like anybody. And he's just that type of person. Yeah, he's good, good man. Very oh, good man. Great. Yeah, you had a good staff to learn on, uh, learn from, and you know, kind of you know, you're a team within the team, pretty much. And so you take those experiences and move on to where you are now and you know you just and this is the cool part about coaching you know even coaching the youth kids that we coach take bits and pieces of the the good that you've had and the experiences and you know kind of wrap it into one and ever evolving type of situation you know you have your own thoughts but some of the best coaches that I had and take some of the, the the best things that they would kind of value or you know their approach and then you kind of wrap it into one and, and try and present it to the kids and and communicate and um, so I'm, I'm guessing, like through the course of all your coaching uh, experiences, from you know, you, you probably had some guys that you didn't, you know, totally agree with or whatever it was. It could have been a coach when you're playing, but you take those good, bad, and different, and you know, kind of make it into your own. And you know, you're where you are right now at the NTDP. Uh, before we get into kind of like some of the nuts and bolts, but how did that transition go from you know being an assistant coach in the NHL to being a you know a very important part of that program yeah oh it happened during the pandemic so it was kind of an odd transition i mean that that whole year was for all of us was just so crazy and so you know i came in um it was the old three birthdays there was their 18 years so i came in with a group that had been together for uh for a year already um and you know that first year was it was i feel like that year was a lot of uh, just trying to help help these you know young kids you know young men get through a really difficult year as it was for everybody because I mean we got we got we got to play we got to practice more than probably anybody else I mean we were they had a really good plan in place here whether that had nothing to do with me like it was done before I got here because I came in right before the season started um, in terms of okay like you know we're gonna be we're gonna have a season we don't know exactly how it's gonna look but like we have a plan for basically everything so the people at the national ntdp did an incredible job i think of setting that up and you know that year was just 
you know, we wanted to make sure that they were developing, um, you know, as hockey players. But even that year, a lot of times it's more like that they're, you know, it's, it was a tough year when you're that age, uh, you know, like, like you got a lot going on. There's still going to be a draft. There's still this future ahead. There's still college hockey and you got, you know, all these things and these kids are, you know, going through a really difficult time and wearing masks every day and you had shutdowns and you're on for a week and you're off for two and it's, well, it was limited. So we had it like everybody else. So you're trying to help the kids through that. And, um, you know, I thought the group, you know, did a good job considering the circumstances. Uh, you know, we had some guys that have gone on and uh, guys in that birth year that are doing some great things now in college hockey. And, uh, and that's exciting to see. But that first year didn't I feel like I got out of it that first year. It's like you didn't really feel like you had the full scope of things because so much time got dedicated to just trying to help manage through, make sure the players developed, make sure that they got better through that year, um, which I really feel like they did. Um, thanks to the plan that was in place and the people that are here to, to, you know, help them. And then this birth year that I'm currently working with, so the 2005s, you know, having a chance to kind of start from day one uh, with them to be there from that orientation camp through, we're now kind of past that midpoint of their second year. I feel like that's kind of now gotten a lot better perspective on what the process really looks like here, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, I learned a lot that first year during the pandemic, but it was not going through that first year and seeing the players really kind of struggle playing in the USHL and the ups and downs and all the things you learn. Like now I finally, I think I got through that second year. I finally, you know, really feel like I had a better idea of what this place is. And it's, it's incredible. It's, it's like, I think it's one of the most unique coaching jobs in hockey, if not the most unique. It's, uh, you know, you got, uh, you know, players coming from all over the, the country. You got, you know, right now identified or believed to be the top players in the country and they're young. So there's going to be players that, you know, go like this. There's players that names aren't even out there that could end up playing in the NHL uh, someday as there always should be. But these kids are coming in like, you know, they've all been the best players typically on their teams. And now they're suddenly all on one team. And there's so much that goes on in that first year. So many like like hockey lessons, life lessons uh, that they got to work their way through and that we have to, as coaches, have to be here to be able to help navigate and help them get through, um, you know. And then, you know, from the development standpoint, like the resources that are here are incredible. Um, you know, you got two teams that are working together so you can lean on one another and uh, some just some great coaches that I get to work with every single day, work together with. And, uh, you know, and you can also like you could you can try things, uh, you know, you got the ability to really kind of try some different things that, you know, maybe where if you're at a, you know, a college program where you're being told like you have to you have to win this many games or this is the expectation. I think it's hard to try certain things. Um, but here, you know, as long as we're doing things the right way, um, you know, we're not going to be, you know, I don't go into games like worried about that. I worry about development. We worry about making sure that the players that are developing, that everybody here is developing. And it's it's pretty refreshing to be able to kind of be working in an environment like that. No, that's phenomenal stuff. And can you touch on the, you know, what's the kids, I guess, day to day out at the, at the program? Yeah. So it, it's changed since the pandemic a little bit. Um, uh, with the pandemic, uh, we started, they, they were in high schools, um, they were mm -hmm. in local high schools. And so because of the pandemic, we couldn't do that anymore. So we're still online. Um, so we, we had the two teams that are here, the, you know, they're together, uh, but they're on kind of separate schedules. So the schedule will change from one team to the next, and it may change from one day to the next, 
But the typical schedule is guys will come in here in the morning. Uh, they'll go to school for a couple hours. Um, and it, by school, it's they're doing online work, so it's it's uh, more of a study table. Um, and they're doing the online courses at home as well. Um, but we have a uh, you know uh, we have somebody in charge of the academics, and she she'll she's there every day. Um, and she's a former teacher. She's she's been here for almost the whole time that the NTDP's been here. So she uh, it's great to have that kind of a resource where it's not like it's not a coach sitting in there you have a, a teacher in there every day even though they're you know doing online courses um and so they're there they're doing that typically we'll, we'll have a meeting right afterwards um sometimes it's a video meeting sometimes it's to go over something for the day uh the guys go down they warm up we go on the ice um you know every team does it a little bit differently you know we we have it where um uh, you know, we typically start, we, we call it pre-practice where the guys will go out on the ice for uh, half an hour. We'll have both sheets going at the same time. We'll work more technical skill. Um, you know, we have a uh, player development coach, Greg Wolf. Uh, he played at Michigan State. Uh, he, he does a phenomenal job. He'll be working with a group of players there on more kind of technical skill. Um, our goalie coach, uh, David Lassant. Who I don't oh, really yeah. Know. Uh, coach Lassant will have the goalies and uh, – <laughs> And then, uh, and some guys might be shooting, and assistant coaches will be going. So it's kind, of, it's really cool because you got both rings going, and there's like, you know, there's there's purpose to everything that's going on. And we'll do that for 30 minutes. We'll cut ice. We'll go over practice, and then we start our team practice. Um, and depending on the day of the week, it'll go. You know, I mean, today I think the guys were on between the pre-practice, the ice cut. Uh, they were on for you know the, that that took a little over two hours, um, and so we're able to get a lot of time on the ice. Uh, we're fortunate to have that. And then, uh, and then after that, they'll go, uh, lunch weight room. And, and then there's time for shooting room. There's time for individual video, um, you know, anything else that they might have, uh, that day. So in, as you, as a week goes through, there'll be, you know, it might vary, you know, in terms of different meetings and things at the end of the day, the back end. Um, but they stay busy. I mean, they're long days, like, like they're, mm. they're here I mean, and they got to stay on top of the academics and everything else. And they, they've done a good job with that. So it's my first time working with a program that's online like this, but they've, um, yeah, I mean, their grades are coming back strong. They're, they're go all going to really good colleges. So, um, yeah, and, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, it's good, but like you get to, you get a lot of resources, even like our sports science stuff that they have here, like Brian Gallivan, um, who I never met before I came here. Like he's, I mean, the gym here is like, it's incredible. Like it's massive. Um, and then the sports science stuff that we're able to, to, to incorporate has been, it's been pretty eye opening. Uh, just the level we're able to have collaboration within the sports science and, and the coaches and collaboration within the one coaching staff to another. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. No, it's great. Now just as, you know, kind of a, a general kind of basis on, what type of player that you would look for? I know it's it really is kind of like the top of the top where you're you kind of have you're drawing from the whole country, and you know most kids are the best player on their team, and maybe this can work into exactly you touched on it, but making sure like you know what are you looking for for you know what do you value most in a player, and when you get them all on the same team, these top end players. Is it difficult to manage, you know, somewhat egos and make them become more of a team and have, you know, some top end players slotted in a maybe a role that they haven't been used to? Yeah, no, it is difficult. Um, it can't, it, I shouldn't say difficult. Difficult, I wouldn't use that word. It's, uh, 
it's a good challenge, I guess. It's a, it's a, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle that's got to be solved over the course of the year, sometimes two years. But it's, um, yeah, it's. I think it's part of it. It's part of it that's kind of built in here. Is them, that figuring that out a little bit too. Uh, I guess going back to the first part of the question, uh, for me, I guess that the key things, uh, I want, I want players who can. We, we we want players who can think. Um, I think you got to be able to think, and I, I can explain a little more on, on that because I think that's a pretty wide open-ended subject. Um, competitive players, I, I believe, like everybody's. Uh, we want players that compete, but I think that's something too that like everybody's compete looks different. You know, I think even if you go through the NHL, like we talk about it with players, like there's not like just one one version of compete like you got to compete within yourself like you got to your version of compete is going to look different than this guy's version of compete and that's okay uh but you have to be competitive and um the other part too which some of that's learning and developed maybe over time here is like and i think we want to value we want great teammates i think that's something we want to make sure players that that understand what that means to be a part of something bigger than yourself and and not everybody just understands that coming in especially from you know they're, they're coming in from being like that that top player sometimes you know it hasn't been about team it's been about them um and sometimes that's been promoted on them it's about you and uh but understanding, I think, is like, you know, uh, not just here in their time here, but like within, you know, as Americans and, and representing the United States, like we want to be great teammates. We want to make sure that that's something that's developed here, too. So those are those are the big things. And it's not like, you know, sometimes the teammate pieces, they come in and that's that's already there. And other times I think they got to they got to learn it through experience. Um, and that's OK. But um, and then when they come in, I think it's, you know, it's definitely i think every year's probably got its own unique challenges with each group because each group's going to be unique each birth year but it's um you know the the it, so it can be a challenge sometimes too it's like your players that have that are used to you know playing huge minutes they're used to playing every other shift they're used to going out for three minute shifts they're playing every situation it's suddenly you're not and the first year here is a huge year in terms of like that foundation um I personally believe, and I'm not going to speak for every coach here or every coach that's come through here. I, the 17 year and the 18 year, like totally different. They're two different years, and like the kind of the plan within those years are different. Like the 17 year, these guys are coming in. Like it doesn't matter. I don't care who you, who you are, where you're coming from, however many points. Like everybody's coming in. Everybody plays. Like everybody plays. Like like to, to win games in their 17 year is really really hard. Like I felt like last year for these players, one, they're up against players that are always older than them. Like we're playing 20 year olds to the USHL and they're 16. So that that's difficult to begin with. Like, but to win a game, like you got to beat them and you got to beat me because I'm not coaching this game to win. And it's like, a, it's a, it's a terrible feeling at first as a coach. I mean, like <laughs> it's just awful. Like it is a hard year as a coach. Um, <laughs> I was just talking with Seth Appert, who's who's in Rochester now, like about it a couple of days ago, and we were just kind of giving like he's telling me his his story from the seventeen year, and both of us agreeing how beneficial it is, but it's hard because you kind of got to let go of a lot of stuff, like like you got to look at the big picture of the development in that year. I mean, I we're we're winning the first game. I think we had a lead in the middle of the game last year. We have a goalie with a shutout, and I pulled him to put another goalie in in a regular season game. And I'm looking at I'm looking at my sister. I was like, I'm gonna do it. I was like, I think I'm supposed to. I need to do this. It's part of the plan. We have to because we have this year, this birthday, we got three goalies, and it was early. It was so early in the season. Like it was the best thing was absolutely. We need to get these guys game experience, no matter what. 
And I'm like, well, what am I doing? And you know, like you're you're you get a power play, you're not putting out like your power play guys that year. It's all right. Some sometimes it's just the next line up. Like everybody's going to develop power play. Everyone's going to develop penalty kill. Um, I mean, sometimes the guy that was a 13 forward, like last year, was our leading scorer this year because it's like, well, you played extra games. You played extra games with the older team. Your teammates need to play more. So you're going to be the 13th forward, and we need you to be awesome with this. We, we need you to be great with this. And you might not play. You're not going to have a regular line. And, like, this is the reason why this is going to be good for you and your teammates. And, like, you put that down on paper. Like, it's 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 hard to do as a coach. It's hard. But then, like, this year, like, and we didn't – I mean, last year, we it was tough. How many, like, how many emails do you get from the, the, the goalie's mom when you had a shutout? Nothing. They, they, they've been honestly like, like, like that's the thing that's been really no. Good this thing, like, I'm just like, saying with these kids, you're like with that with with uh, at the youth level, you can picture it, right? Like it just you know, how'd you oh, pull little Johnny? He had a shout out, ba ba ba. So that's oh, like that's like unbelievable to hear. Yeah. yeah, but it's the right thing for their development. Like it's the right thing, and you know, it goes back to that. I mean, sometimes it was like, all right, we're going into this game, like. Yeah, there's we could pick out, you know, five guys, ten guys that would be the best players to be on the ice for one or two power plays. Like that's easy. Like to be able to say, okay, these guys need to get some time in these situations. Like we're looking at long term. Let's try this out or put these guys in different positions. And then, you know, even for the forwards, like it, you know, if I went off of where everybody came in saying they played, I'd have 13 lines of centers. Like nobody plays wing. But <laughs> it's explaining to them too. Like like I, now there's guys on the scene too. Like they can play guys that I think are gonna be high draft picks this year, like first round players. They're they show and they can go say, like, I am a I I have versatility in my game. You need me to play left wing, I can play left wing. You need me to play right wing, I can play right wing. Like, I'm a hockey player, I'm not a center. And, and I think that's important. Like it, some of it's explaining to the kids too, the reason why, like, I mean, I sat in on enough world junior camps where like young players coming in, I'm hearing like, well, yeah, he's a good high, he's a good player, but he can't play top six because he can't play wing. It's like, why? Right. Cause he's never played it before. Like, and I like, you can't play wing a good hockey player. You can figure it out. Like, <laughs> like and so, and they start to get it. And I think it gives them even guys like, putting guys in different power play situations, guys that I know like in the college hockey and probably even in pro hockey, like they're going to be in certain positions. Like you can just see it. Like, yes, I see this. I see what, like those attributes that you have that put you in this, but let's put you down at the goal line because this is the only, if you don't do it now, you might not ever get to see it. And you're going to see the game from a whole new perspective if you do it. And so you get this year where you get all this versatility and all these different roles and, and it's hard and you got to grind and you got to earn everything that you get as a team. And like, you see it just, they start at one point and they just keep going up and up. And, and then by the end of the year, you're starting to have some success. And then it, it translates into the second year where, you know, I mean, this, the, the group, I mean, I don't pay attention to what anybody says, but supposedly, you know, like this, uh, people said last year that they weren't sure this was going to be a strong birth year. Like it's, it's a strong birth year. Like these guys have mm. done a really good job and you've seen their development, but they're good kids. And, and like, that's the number one. Like, and I give full credit to our player personnel staff. Um, you know, uh, right now it's Kevin Ryder, uh, Rod Braceful, uh, helped put this, this current birth year together. Brent Darnell is in that assistant role now. And like, these guys work hard to make sure that these are you know, kids that are coming here are going to take full advantage of the resources and that even though it's going to be really hard they're going to be able to get through those hard times together and um and then you start to see them understanding what it means to be kind of part of a team and part of something bigger than yourself oh that's unbelievable can you talk about that 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 kind of process a little bit and how those you know that that you know 
player selection staff and everything, how it, it, it kind of, I guess, how it starts and get on that track, right? Yeah, they, those guys, I mean, they, they work hard at it. Like, they're out all the time. Um, you know, they're they're talking to, you know, they're at games, they're talking to coaches, they're talking to everybody, and they're, you know, trying to find the, the, the players that they feel like, you know, uh, would be the best fit here. And, and there is a level, too, of obviously, you know, um, you know, I guess you say, you know, level of technical ability, uh, you know, the sense piece, the compete piece, like like where they're at right, where the players are right now in their development. Um, and they, they, you know, work together to come up with a list of players that will come to a tryout camp here. Uh, they come to the camp and, you know, they'll typically spend it like four or five days here. Um, player personnel will be here. Coaching staff will be here evaluating. And from there, uh, a team is picked. And and the the younger you go, the harder. There's no perfect science, I think, to to you know scouting and to evaluating. Like it's it, it's an imperfect job. Like there's always players that you know end up you know I don't want to say falling through the cracks. It just wasn't the right time, you know. And there and, and honestly, I think sometimes that can be really good for those players too, you know. Yeah. Like and there's and that's yeah. the way it should be, because um, everybody's path is going to be different. And um, you know, but that, that, they'll go through that. They'll love the trial camp, and then from there, um, you know players will get, you know, he's offered an opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's been, uh, you know, interesting to see how it's grown and evolved. You know, the, you know, National Development Program <clears throat> started by Jeff Jackson when I was coming through, and he polled us, like, when we were at World Junior uh, Camp in Lake Placid, who would be interested in this kind of program. And at the time, I was in the ISL, getting good coaching, you know, close to home, and it wasn't. A, it wouldn't have been a good fit for me how he described it, and just to see how it's evolved and the impact that it's it's had on some young young players. And and you see the World Juniors. It's it's just been this great feeder system to develop high end U.S. born players. And I talked to Jeff Jackson about it at um, the BC Notre Dame game. He's like, I can't even get guys out of that program to come to my school now. And I started it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, we got we, we got we got we got a couple. We got a, we got three this year going oh, on. Nice. So that's not totally true. Yeah, <laughs> like he no, came in. He he's great too. And like like just hearing the history of it from him. Like we played in Notre Dame this year, and he came in and he he was nice enough to come like on game day, come talk to the guys about the history. And like I learned stuff like kind of to your point, like how hard it was initially to get guys uh, like in, yeah. and like what that starting point was like, and to just see how it's evolved, and it's. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty incredible, and that, and, that, and that's where right now like we want to keep you want to keep driving it, like you want to keep driving it and driving the development side of it and finding like new ways to you know kind of take it to another level. Yeah, I think it's important too when you kind of touched on it is you know this it may not be the right fit for certain guys and and or guys may you know call it fall through the cracks, but the, there's still a lot of opportunity out there, right? Because I don't, you know, I think there's a lot of listeners here who obviously have dreams and aspirations to go and to make it and, you know, potentially be playing for that under 17 team and, and, and you know, whenever their time comes. But if it doesn't happen, like there's still, you know, and, and, and for example, there's kids that are playing prep school hockey here that teams have brought in and played some handful of games. And like this, there's, there's a different path for everybody, right? Absolutely. There's a different path. I mean, you like, you look, 
and, and we talk about it with guys all the time here too, just because, you know, there can be like you, when you're told at 16 years old, that you're one of the best players in the country, like, you know, like there's an automatic sense of like your head's going to get pretty big and there's a little bit of sense of entitlement. It's like, you, that's today. Like this is, this is a snapshot in time. This is where you're at today. You earn this opportunity. That's great. But for every kid that doesn't earn it, you know, like there's going to be like you hope that they're going to be hungry and you hope yeah. they're going to be pushing. And like, that's good. That's good for us as Americans, too. Like within USA Hockey, like we want that um, because there's going to be players like and you see it on on any world junior team. Like, like that, you know, guys that maybe they maybe they didn't even come to try out and and that's OK. But like like you want to just understand that every path is different. So if it's not, you know, if you if you don't get an opportunity here for that trial, you don't get because there's only so many spots to try on. There's only so many spots on the team. And so there's going to be really good hockey players every year that, you know, aren't and they're going to go off and they're going to have to pave their own way. And that's that's good. That's going to be kind of their their that's just their path. Um, and I think sometimes too, like I think not just at NTV, but just in general, like sometimes that can kind of fuel a fire that can that can drive you too. When uh, whether you know you don't get, you're not getting spoken to by um, you know the, maybe the school that you're interested in, or you get an opportunity with the team that you want to play for. What are you going to do about it? And you can you can use that to make that one of the best things that's ever happened to you if you make that choice. Um, and I'm sure that it happens. It happens every year. There's other players in that 05 birth year that I'm sure, you know, they wish they'd gotten an opportunity or that we've gotten a call or they made the team out of tryout. And they still have an opportunity to be guys that they could potentially, you know, like like represent the United States in the future. And and that's what we want. I think that's good. I think mm-hmm. you, know, you, you want to have that. You want to have uh, we want to have the best, you know, overall pool of players uh, possible. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, just drawing from the whole country and, and having the systems in place. You know, and, and that's one of the things that going back to like the, the creation of it, it was trying to give, you know, plays from non-traditional hockey markets an opportunity to, you know, who, who could, you know, play, have an ability to kind of, you know, progress their development and move on to the next level. And uh, you guys are doing that right now and you're doing it great. So, you know, that's uh, one of the, the main messages. And like you were talking about earlier, just the, the value of, hockey intellect and the such skill development like emphasis i think on these kids growing up and everyone can can handle the puck and move and but if you're really focusing on that when the puck drops you want to be a good cerebral player and you know kind of encouraging those kind of small plays that make a big difference or make a big impact at every level as they get better or as they climb the ladder um that's that's great great advice great coaching because the small plays are, are the ones that, that can be duplicated and will be much more valuable to a, a coach. Um, but even though it's not the cool, sexy thing to do it at, you know, 16, 17 years old. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, it's I, I think right now within the United States, what, we're, what I'm seeing, I think what we're seeing here is like, you know, um, and, and I, you know, go back, like I remember kind of stealing a line from Adam Nightingale, who's at Michigan State now, like we were talking about because we came in at the same time. He was coaching the 17s yeah. when I was coaching the 18s and then we flipped. But it's like, you know, the players right now, like they can all skate, they can all shoot, they can all stick handle. It's it's a lot of like, like it's one-on-one skill, but not as many kids can play the game. They can't process the game, like the ability to see the ice and to see what's around in your surroundings, like – I think unfortunately it's going somewhat in the set, uh, like like in the direction of like we're creating too many like robotic players, um, and I really do as much as some people will argue 
strongly on this. Like, I think we can put players in an environment, especially when it's done at a younger age, where they are going to be able to increase their ability to see their surroundings and to process things. Um, but it's about putting them in the right environment and, you know, just kind of that paint by numbers style of development, like it doesn't work. And, and so we try to make sure here, whatever we're doing, like we're trying to make it somewhat game like or some sort of a re even if we're doing shooting drills, can we put can we add in some sort of a decision in here? Like, mm -hmm. like and so that's a huge point of emphasis for what we're doing. And um, I think I think it has to be there. like it's because. When that puck drops, like you don't have time to like, you know, you know, think, oh, I, I need to do this or I can do this move because I or, or, you know, any of that. And what, I, what we're finding is a lot of players, too, I think it's like they're very predetermined in that because they've been told you do this and then you do that. And then they get into a game. And it's like, well, I'm going to do this because I already, you know, I practiced it and I already thought about doing it. It's like it's not how the game works. Like <laughs> you got to react fast. Yeah. Like, like you got to react to the situation. You got to react to the support. You got to react to time and space. You got to do it really fast. And the more times that you're in an environment where you're having to do that, the more naturally I think it becomes like once you get into the games. Um, and if you go through, you know, predetermined movements all the time. Uh, and this isn't saying that there's no there's not a there like we need to develop technical skill. Like we need to do to, to develop that technique. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, for example, like we try to separate the two a little bit here and we think they're both important, but we we separate it. And I mm -hmm. let our player development coach work on some of those. But even within the things he does, we try to still, well, can we add in reads within what we're doing? We're working on it. Can we add in some sort of a reaction to what we're doing? And I think when you're asking yourself that, you're able to find it. You are. You you can. You can do a lot of the same things, but still put them into a situation that makes it a little bit more game-like. That's awesome. And uh that's great advice, Mots. I mean, I, I this. Oh yeah, we could chat all day. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think we could we could sit here for about ten hours and talk. So we're gonna have to do a part two coming up here and 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 get more into it because obviously we've taken up a ton of your time. But we can't thank you enough. Obviously, continued success, and um, this has really, really been 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 excellent. Yeah. Well, again, guys, I think what you're doing is awesome. It's great messaging, and uh, yeah, I hope uh, I hope parents players coaches alike are, are listening to you guys i've listened to a bunch of these and it's uh it's just yeah great messaging all around so um thanks for everything you guys are doing well i appreciate, appreciate you it. yeah appreciate your time dan and uh, best of luck the rest of the season here i appreciate it take care guys all right thanks dan we'll see you that interview with Dan Muse was also brought to you by Cross Country Mortgage. We're in a purchase market right now. Devo and the team at Cross Country Mortgage have options and strategies to provide buyers with lower monthly pace, uh, payments. It's a great time to buy a home, especially if you're renting. So it's time for you to give Devo a call and chat about why home ownership makes sense. Again, it's a purchase market and a great time to buy. Give him a follow on Instagram at Chris Devon CCM for more information. His website, chrisdevin.com, where you can schedule a time for a call with him. Cross Country Mortgage, LLC, NMLS, 47305. Yeah, I saw Devo tonight at the rank. Awesome guy. Unbelievable service that you can get from Cross Country Mortgage. Make sure you check him out at chrisdevin.com or at chrisdevinccm for more information. Mots, that was a, uh, a great interview with Dan Muse. Uh, obviously, it was uh, you know, a couple things that really stood out to me. Obviously, his path and growing up in California and Alabama. And, you know, it was uh, – I, I remember him as a kid. Obviously, he was a couple years older than me, played for my father, and just a kid that, like, worked and grinded. But I loved – his message and 
you know, it's, it's, we always talk about building hockey sense and things like that. And, and, you know, kind of his three keys to an elite player, right? You got to be able to think, you got to be able to compete and are you a great teammate, right? So if you, you know, as, as a scout, as a coach, as a, as a player, right. Can you do those things? I think that's a really, really cool, um, you know, a, a great message, a great message to be, to, to, to send and also for kids when they're watching hockey. And and I had this conversation with a couple guys this week, like, again, we've, we're beating a dead horse here, but, uh, and you and I talked about it as well. Like kids need to be watching the game and watching, watching Bergeron, watching whoever it is right on their favorite team and, and, you know, what position they play and, and try to pick different things up and it'll really, really help you. Don't just watch the highlights. So exactly what coach Muse is talking about. So similar to when I talked to coach Woodcroft, when I did the BC UVM game, he was talking about three primary colors. It's like, you think you're a good person, good teammate, and you compete. It doesn't change from right. when you're a young player to you know, a D1 player to these kids that are in this national development program. It's like, it's like non-negotiable stuff. So it's kind of neat to hear that from multiple sources, but coach Muse was really good at, at like understanding because he didn't, he wasn't the best player. Right? No, he grew up and didn't even play. I know, for, but, but that, yeah, that's know, so cool like that he moved to Alabama. Yeah. But he wasn't the best player on any team he ever played on, but he had the passion. So my, my biggest takeaway though from him was there was like never a day that he did not want to go to the rank and he was excited to go to the rank whenever he was there, whether he was a fourth liner, third liner, you know, he, he made it to the second line in high school and he was pumped. You know, it's like you cannot understand the passion that this guy has and he promotes that onto his teams that he coaches now, which is like so refreshing. It was really cool to hear. Yeah, no, it was really, really cool. And I love this story about, you know, and if you knew his uncle Peter, right. And, and the story about, you know, Danny getting into law school and, and all that stuff. And Peter was his mentor and he was hooking him up with internships and, and things like that. And, you know, he was so like, you know, he had butterflies going to tell him like, hey, I really don't want to do this. I want to I want to coach. I want to create my own path. And, you know, their entire family, I forget exactly. I think there's like 11, um, you know, basically he has, you know, his father's one of 11. Like it's a huge, huge family. And most of them are doctors and lawyers and judges. And, you know, they, they, they've. And he's like, no, I, I want to do my own thing. And Peter Muse just being the guy that he is. And, and you know, I was lucky. He coached me in lacrosse and hockey. And I grew up with this guy as, as just like an unbelievable leader in person in, in the town of Milton and a great guy. And he's like, Danny, that's the best news I've heard. Like, that's like I could just see him. And I was t- I was talking to my father about it. And uh, it was just so fitting for, for big Peter Muse. And uh, obviously we all, you know, he's a he's a, you know, a, a person that unfortunately uh you know we lost way too young because he would be a a, just a a class guy you know what i mean a a class act and a great person and and you know i know danny used a lot of his kind of fire and emotion and and and, um you know the 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 people quality skills that he learned from his you know his own parents but also his uncles and things like that so it was uh that was that was great and i know that uh you know that the town of Canton and also, you know, all the different roads that he had, right. He grinded, he started at Milton Academy, he went to, um, you know, to Colby and to, to, 
Sacred Heart and then National Championship at Yale and just really, really works for everything in the game. You know, did every camp, just got his name out there. And, you know, now who knows what the next steps are for him. It's really, really cool to see him as the, you know, the top co- the, the coach of the U.S. under-18 team. You know, he's been on world junior benches. He was a video coach. He's won gold medals. Uh, he's he's going to, you know, he was involved in President's uh, Cup tro- uh, trophy winners with, with Nashville. And, like, whether it's a Division One head coaching job or, you know, an NHL job, like something will be coming down the pipeline soon. Or, you know, maybe he just chooses to stay and, really focus on the development of the, the, the U18, U17, NTDT, NTDP kids. So uh, really, really good stuff. I, I hope everybody enjoyed. Yeah, one of the better uh, interviews, like like as far as information goes. So yep. if everyone wants to get to where he's coaching, uh, meaning like as they, you know, kind of like they're funneling up to that. And like he made uh, like a really good point about, you know, it's not for everyone. You know, right. there's, you know, there's a really good chance that we miss out on a bunch of kids. Like, in the, he wants to miss out on a bunch of kids at this point because that yeah. means, you know, there's some kids that are developing outside of this program that he's involved with. So uh, it's not the end-all, be-all. And uh, the best part of it is he we had a voice from Interior, but um, it's not the end-all, be-all. And uh, Dan Muse is it w- was a very very good interview for me because we've had some really good say players on who have become coaches and like he worked for everything he worked yeah. for everything as a player as a coach and this is again you know kind of like looking at it from the hockey community he got some of his coaching opportunities through his hard work number one but like through getting his name out there and the hockey community took care of him yeah like. A but, but like he was, you know, you, you listen to the interviews, hard worker. But I love that about the hockey community because people want to take care of people who care, number one, and who are in it for the right reasons. And Danny was, Dan has always been in it for the right reasons. And he's gotten multiple coaching jobs because of that work ethic and that mm-hmm. care for the game yep. and the process. So, um, you know, it was a great interview for me because, you know, just hearing it from a coach's side who's at a high level, where he came from and how he got there. I think that's really cool. So I think the best thing that ever happened to him, too, was not getting that uh, lead role in Forrest Gump. <laughs> that, <laughs> hey, that's hilarious, by the way. Dude, that was unbelievable. That yeah. was unbelievable. But, no, but like, imagine, you know, a kid from Alabama, like, you have to, like, Whoever started that rumor was genius, by the way. Oh, unbelievable. Shout out to Chris Donnelly for giving me that <laughs> ammo going into it. That was great. That was great. Uh, Mots, it's time for the My Hockey Rankings question of the week. Um, my child's team has a group of games that are about to be added to their page. It appears that one of our opponent's ratings has changed considerably since the game was actually played. Does the rating compute as to when the game was played or with the current rating? And we went right to Neil and Ian from MyHockeyRankings.com for the answer for this one because obviously this is above our pay grade. It ultimately doesn't matter when a game was played or entered into the system. My Hockey Rankings uses a team's current rating when computing the rankings and updating the mathematics calculations on the rating math tab. If a team has played 30 games, then each game accounts 
for one thirtieth of their overall team rating. Since every game a team plays counts equally, the timing of the game, uh, the timing of the game result being added to my hockey rankings has zero impact. Please remember, a team's overall rating is not reflective of its best set of games nor its worst set of games. It's an average of all the games. So there it is. Boom. I, I love um, you know Neil and Ian giving the answer to the question because. Again, we could talk about it, we could bounce it around, but like that's the exact answer as to why um, it didn't compute. Right. That's it. That's it. So go play the games. It doesn't matter. Each game, you know, uh, it, it accounts equally, right? And and that's how it rolls. So once again, thanks to the guys at myhockeyrankings.com. Make sure you, uh, you know, like I said, I'll be – the first thing I did, I'm going down next week. We got the tournament schedule. So what did I do, Mots? I'm like, oh. You looked up. My hockey, myhockeyrankings.com. We're playing this team, this team. What are they ranked? Where do they – you know, how they stack up against us? And it's a really, really, you know, valuable site just to just to see what you're up against, right? All oh, this team's got, you know, this record and they've played these games. So it's uh, – Really good, and it's it's added a lot of value to the youth hockey experience, and all the teams that we're kind of set up in the tournament to play are basically right around us, right? So it should be really, really competitive uh, for for the tournament director that was you know making the schedule. Uh, it makes his life a heck of a lot easier, and hopefully, it's you know well balanced, very competitive games down in FLA. You know, I'll be sitting there with my sleeveless shirt on in the oh, pool yeah. and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Showing off this dad bod when we're not at the rink too. No, yeah, go top off, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was going to – I'm actually going to coach with no sleeves on. Oh, there you go. You know what I mean? Show off the gun show. Oh, I mean, the the opposing team might be a little intimidated. The the pipe cleaners, actually. (laughs) No, that's awesome. But I did do an interval and arms ride today with the three-pound dumbbells, so I'm off to a good start. Yeah, I got a week. Yeah, maybe one more. (laughs) <laughs> i'll be do, good to go but no, do, do some tricep side so what we do buys and tries yeah 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 right. it's like it's a good little workout on the peloton you know it's yeah. about 20 minutes of biking and then they they mix it in with some uh getting the arms going so it's good stuff but that's enough about me mots uh it was great catching up this week obviously next week we have the mailbag so make sure we get those questions in early like i said i'm going to be doing some traveling next week so uh, we're going to try to bang that out earlier in the week. Um, so make sure you hit us up on the Instagram or Twitter or at rinkshrinks at gmail.com or, or the voicemail, right? 3476-SHRINK. Again, 347-674-7465. We love getting the voicemails. It gets the conversation going. We like hearing people's voices. We can even disguise the voices a little bit if we need to. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to all the sponsors. Make sure you you know, like and subscribe and follow us on all the socials channels and things like that. So great episode, Mots. Uh, you got anything else for us? Uh, not too much. I mean, we, we got a couple games coming up this weekend, big games, um, big you know, tilts. Yeah. So, uh, alumni, uh, there, like all this. So I'm like, yeah, you're going. yeah, no. So I'm going to be ready. I'm stretching out, getting on the Peloton, doing the three pound dumbbells. <laughs> Exactly. All right, Jersey, time to cue the ring shrink shuffle, buddy. <laughs>